Welcome to Texans Unfiltered. And here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am Young Ari Gold, as usual, and I am joined by my friend and co-host who is typing away. He's putting together an article as we speak to put on the website. Oh, yo, yo, yo. Um, John Wade, the Garden Texan. John, what up? How's it going, dude? It's, it's my, draft week. It's my favorite week of the year. You know? I love this Beyond week. excited. Too bad I'm not going to be in Vegas. Too bad we're not having our event, you know, because the world kind of gets gets in our way. Yeah. But I think that this year's draft is going to be crazy. I'm excited. I agree. I think this is going to be one of the better draft scenarios um, that, or the, just the draft events that we could potentially have. I'm, I'm super excited. It's unfortunate that, you know, the world's going through what they're going through right now. But, God, like, it, I mean, just think about the – the Last Dance uh, documentary that just got a ton of traffic. This this is just going to get even more. I mean, people are fiending for anything football. Yep, we can see uh, Ruben Calveo, also uh, AKA um, my man's my guy, the YouTube up and comer, the Nature Boy. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the stream. Um, what's up, Nolan? Um. Yeah, so this is a great week. Uh, this is just a, this is a great week. It's a great week for sports. It's a great week for people just to have something else to, um, kind of just get their minds off of things, right? Uh, I was starting to I was starting to put together like an article, another article, just a, like a final mock draft of my thought on kind of where I thought things were going to go, and then, um, I, I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. I felt like the David Johnson article was enough for right now, and. Uh, I figured we'd be doing so much recap that um, there was really no reason to to do it. But the best part, one of the things that I wrote in the intro was, like, the best part about the draft is just watching kids' dreams come true. I mean, for me, that's – you guys hear me? I can hear a cat. Yeah, dude, I don't even know where he's at. Um, We've got an extra host this week. There's, um, like, there's like which, two – Which cat is there's, it? There's two – it's probably Banana. Um, she won't leave my wife's side. Um yeah, I, uh, I I really am excited to just see what's going to happen. We're doing the virtual happy hour during the um, during the first round, and then I won't be able to be in the happy hour for the second round as I have uh, my buddy coming over, and we're just going to kind of hang out and do some brisket and stuff. But um, I'll be able to hop in during our pick. We could talk about that for a little bit and then kind of go from there. But, yeah, man, it's an exciting week. This is where we get to see new additions to the team. I need better lighting behind me. Um, I'm realizing every time I look at the screen, it's super dark for me. Um, but, yeah, it's just an awesome week. Um, how about you? I mean, what's going on? I mean, obviously you, you put some stuff on the website last week. I wor- oh, I'm going to be, uh, Jay Weave, I'm going to be extremely honest with you. We are going to talk nothing about DeAndre Hopkins. Um, it, it's kind of it, it's kind of like a, a beating a dead horse at this point. DeAndre's gone. He's staying relevant by keeping his name out there. I think honestly, I think he's showing his true colors, um, in my opinion, on how he's doing it. So, um, Cali, Texas, you know why you should be a Texas fan, okay? Hey, we'll do question and answers at the end. Um, yeah. If y'all really want to. 
if y'all really want to ask us about Hop, ask us then. I'm going to put up a brief article this evening just on how there's going to be no slander on Hop on our end from anything, but we don't want to talk about him anymore. He's he's that ex that didn't work out, and he's just we're going to let him move on, and that's going to be what it is. Wish him nothing but the best. We still think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, so on and so forth. But he's not a Texan anymore. As much as we change it, we have no control over that. So that's kind of like the end of the discussion. Yeah, like, Cali, Texas. For the, dra- the drama, I mean, right now the drama just exists because we're in quarantine. Like, that's yeah. really it. Otherwise, we'd be talking about other stuff. Yeah. Cali, Texas, you should be a fan of the Texans because there's Deshaun Watson as our quarterback. That's. I mean, I don't know if you need another reason, but Deshaun Watson is – I mean, I, I don't know if you could ask for a better – quarterback I mean John would say Patrick Mahomes but I think um <laughs> I think uh I'm, I'm super happy with four under center and uh, I, I think that's enough of a reason to completely still root for this team and he is for the future so all right so lots to get into first let's get into kind of our typical house cleaning um so tomorrow if you're a podcast listener um, you're listening to this live while I'm, or you're not listening to it live, you're listening to the recording, but you are in for a treat. So I sat down with Dane Brugler last week. I talked for uh, an hour and a half with Texans Thoughts about the draft. Uh, John talked with um, our recent addition to the Texans Unfiltered team, uh, Texans Draft, who will be putting articles on the website breaking down the draft, uh, then when college season wraps up or starts, he's going to be starting to talk about prospects and things that are going on so you guys can be uh, kind of more in the know as far as prospects that are entering. Uh, so he's going to be doing that for us. Um, so he talked, John talked to him for about a good 45 minutes, and then you guys are going to get this. So it should be about a three- to four-hour podcast. It will be released Wednesday morning, and you guys will have an entire three days to listen and hear our thoughts on where we think the Texans should go and why. Um, so that's one thing, and I, I'm super excited. It's like one of the biggest things I feel like we've put together is, uh, you know, draft week's a big week, lots of moving parts, lots of, you know, news comes out, uh, lots of things around prospects and things of that nature. Uh, so I, I'm super excited for you guys to get this. I love talking to Dane Brugler. I think he's one of the smarter draft analysts that you can talk to, really knows the game. I'd probably put him and Lance up there as probably the bigger two um, maybe Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks could potentially be a part of that, but um, Dan yeah. Brugler's article every year on the draft is worth subscribing to the Athletic alone on. I, yeah, um, good. Yeah, just no doubt. Um, the Athletic, I know it's, you have to pay for it, so people don't always love that, but. Dane Brugler by himself is worth the subscription just because his complete rundown, his breakdown on every prospect. Um, he does a full seven round mock draft or seven round mock um, where he kind of doesn't put details behind everybody, but he he gets a lot of prospects under. I believe it's at least 150 that he has details on. Um, I could be mistaken on that because I didn't read all of it. But I read damn near all of it, and I read every pick pre-app for the Texans. So extremely smart individual. Um, James always does a great job. This is, I believe, the second year that he's been on um, with that conversation. So listen, learn something, and take advantage of the free 90 days on The Athletic. They're not giving us any money. I'm just shouting it out because he's he's our, he's our guy. Yeah, no, he is our guy. I mean, uh, you know, we had Jordan Reed last year. Um, but, you know, Dane, for me, the biggest part – so one of the biggest parts when I reach out to these people that have conversations is um, I'll reach out, and if they're responsive and they don't act like they're doing me a favor, um, then I'm all for having them on. 
and talking to him. And Dane's just a regular guy, just really good at what he does, lives in Dallas, very genuine and authentic. And to me, those are the kinds of guys that I surround myself with. So, um, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple other draft analysts, you know, one in Houston that, uh, you know, has family ties and uh, just acts like he's doing me the biggest favor in the world. So um, we have never had him on because of that. And that's just kind of how I roll. Um, we're going to be doing some – me and John are going to be doing some things with uh, with the Nature Boy. If you guys don't follow him on YouTube, make sure you guys do. Um, we're going to be doing a panel. I'm going to go on and talk with him sometime this week um, about the draft. Uh, really smart guy, really awesome uh, web, really awesome YouTube. Make sure you guys go check him out and go subscribe. Um, really cool, cool dude, just a good dude to talk to. Uh, we had a really good conversation earlier today, so make sure you guys ha- you know reach out to him, go subscribe to his page. Um, also, make sure you guys click like and subscribe our uh, YouTube. It's one thing that we've never really pushed. That's a terrible job on our part, but uh, make sure you guys hit the subscri- subscribe button for us. Uh, podcasts come out every Wednesday morning, uh, Jay Weave, so just to know. Also, um, I think he was asking when we were live. Oh, okay, because uh, it's a Twitter live and podcast. Um, but um, I wrote a really good article, in my opinion, on David Johnson this week. Uh, I, I sat down, I took a freaking pillow to chill me out, and I just started to plug away. Um, that's on TexansUnfiltered.com. Um, really, really lots of interesting things in there, lots of good research. I, I really think that if you're one of those people that are like, I can't believe we have David Johnson on our team, just go look. He has had more than one productive season in this league, and just people don't want to add that context because he never reached 2,000 yards again. So uh, something to keep in mind. But today we're going to talk about the draft and where we want the Houston Texans to go as we are three days away from the draft. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes down. There, you know, it's a, it's an interesting time with everybody being at home and kind of drafting from their basements and some drafting from their kitchen with 19 different screens and uh, all sorts of different moving pieces to the draft this year. But uh, you know, a lot, I think two GMs texted Ian Rappaport and said that you draft analysts have never been more wrong on your mock drafts. Um, and that's very Which means every team's going to get an F this year, by the way. Yeah, well, that's very true. That's just the way it works. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an interesting year. Uh, I, I really think that the Texans, without a first-round pick, are actually in a very, very good position with the 40. I do think that they can grab an impact player, which, to me, that's, that's probably all you can ask for at this point without a first-round pick. But, I don't know, John, where do you want to go? Where do you want to take this? So pretty much I'm sure that if you've listened to um, – if you're listening to this at the end of the four-hour monster of an episode, you kind of know what prospects both me and James like. So this is more to kind of talk about where we feel that the Texans will kind of like their draft strategy based on everything that we've read and all the research we've done, um, how we think the draft is going to go for them and also the type of positions we think we're going to target. Uh, I would probably start out with, like, just honestly, who do you, what type of positions do you think we're going to value? And I'm just going to throw out there that B.O.B., for as much shit as everybody gives him, has never really lied to us. He usually tells us exactly what he's going to do. And he already has. Well, and, yeah, and he already has. Uh, this year he says that he needs to get, they need to get faster on their defense. And they haven't really done anything with free agency in their defense. The trades haven't involved the defense. 
And that's what he said coming at the end of the year is they need to get faster on the defense. And then he said he was going to target defensive line and safeties. These were things that have already been stated. So I can't imagine that all of a sudden that he's just going to start lying to us. And if he's talking about speed on the defense, I believe speed was him straight calling out the linebackers. So if you were taking my guess, I would say that our top three positions on the board would be safety, linebacker, defensive line, even more so than edge, which I kind of tie edge into defensive line because I think that they're going after the same the same end result. They want a pass rusher. Yeah, I think um, if I had to rank the needs just based on the conversation, uh, I would say specifically defensive tackle, uh, safety and linebacker are probably the three biggest needs. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a if a cornerback falls out of the first round and is potentially there at 40 that they grab him, as you can never have too many. Uh, but, right. But outside of that, I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at, you know, a Ross Blacklock, a Neville uh, Gallimore, um, Justin Maduke out of A&M. Those type of guys that can come in day one and at least – at least stop the run. Um, some of those guys can manufacture a pass rush within in, in the interior, so that'll be big. But, yeah, I think uh, if I had to rank them, it would probably go defensive tackle, safety, and inside, and inside linebacker. I, I'm, I'm really not too worried about the edge. Gladney is my dude as well. I am so bullish on, on Gladney. I, I love everything about him. You guys will hear it when you hear me and uh, Texans' thoughts talk, but I I love his attitude. I love the way he plays the game. Um, and if we can't get him, then Amik Robertson out of Louisiana Tech would be fine with me too in the third or fourth. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Um, he's just going to have to only play slot the rest of his life. But, um, yeah, I mean – the the edge, I don't, I, I'm not too concerned. I mean, I would like to have, like, uh, you know, another defensive tackle, or I mean a defensive end opposite of J.J. if one falls. But there aren't, this isn't the best edge class for defensive ends. There's some good outside linebackers, but from a defensive end perspective, there's really not very many good ones. Um, you know, they have the, there's a lot of long shots that would be specifically, you know, especially that kid out of NDSU that you're a big fan of. Me and Texans Thoughts talked about him as well. Um, his tape is pretty eye-opening when you watch him play. Uh, so you have a guy that's you know maybe a fifth or sixth round pick that could potentially come in and help. But outside of that, there's really not any defensive ends that are going to be available at 40 that are worth taking a look at. I I feel comfortable with the outside linebackers that we have. I don't necessarily want to take another one because if you do, then somebody's going to be the odd man out. And I like the potential of all three that we have. That I don't know if it's something that you want to risk. If that makes no. any sense, I think Jacob Martin, no, fair enough. Duke Edge of Four, both need to battle it out. And they've all, they've shown glimpses, and these are guys that that are developmental. I would say that there's not a defensive, or I'm sorry, there's not an an edge player that really just jumps off the board that we couldn't try and get later in the round, later in the draft, because it's it's the same sort of thing. They're all going to be developmental. What about Bond? Uh, Bon, he's more he's more of a flexible type of player. For me too. Uh, I, I, I'm just asking you specifically. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I love him. If he actually falls, I would take him. In the at, if the, he at falls. forty. But I don't think. I'm sorry. At forty. 
yeah, if he falls to 40, but he's not going to make it till 40. It's one of those things that they're very much going to be – they've got to be best player available, and it's got to be best player available on the defensive side. If Bond falls, yeah, I'd, I'd take him. If um, either one of the linebackers that they are hot and heavy over falls, I'd be over the moon. If Queen fell, or if Queen fell to a spot where we can go and get him, that'd be amazing. However, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I don't either. I'm kind of, and this is kind of the discussion that I really wanted to get down to, was with Bill O'Brien, we know that he values players over draft picks. He's already demonstrated that. I don't think he can make that any clearer than he already has. So how do we think that he's going to actually go about it with this draft? Is there going to be a player that he's just over the moon about and he'll give up his draft picks to go get? Or is he going to go back to the Patriots? Everybody misses um, the accepted kind of dogma that nobody can draft. Nobody, No team out there is really great at drafting. What they can do is they can trade back and get volume. And especially in a draft like this that has a lot of depth, which way – what do you think your guess is? What do you think B.O.B. is going to do? Especially since, I mean, he's in control. Um, so looking at the draft, uh, so here's the here's what I think Bill O'Brien's philosophy is, and I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of how the last two drafts have gone specifically. It's going to be BPA, but it'll be BPA specifically on the defense. Now, if there is a running back available that he's in love with, um, which we all know there probably is, um, <laughs> he's going to probably take him. But I don't think it'll be at the four, at, at 40. Now, if Dobbins is there somehow, that's like the worst case scenario for this team, in my opinion. If somehow Dobbins is still available at 40, that's when all Texans fans will likely throw their remote through their TV. Um, because I don't think Bill O'Brien will be able to ignore Dobbins. Oh, man. Not Do- Dobbins? Yeah. And he's – he both him and the guy out of FSU, um, yeah, LSU, Clyde, Hilaire. Clyde. Clyde Hilaire yeah. Edwards, is that yeah, it? Yeah. So many names. Like, those guys are both redundant to what we already have. And – this is my fear with B.O.B. is he, he is an offensive-minded coach. He's an offensive-minded coach that is now in charge of the draft. So, yeah, um, I mean, Jay Weave is just kind of nailing it with both his comments. It is a dead zone between 20 and 32, and we really should not be taking an offensive player at 40. Only, now, and, what about what if it was a guard? What if Cushenberry or Cesar Ruiz falls? Even then, I think we have to spend something on defense. I agree. I'm just asking. I think Bill. I don't think Bill O'Brien. I think Bill O'Brien, and this was kind of the point that I was getting to. He completely let Romeo have complete control over the defense. He essentially allowed Rack to operate independent to him. He took over the entire offensive side of the ball. Bill O'Brien is so razor focused on the offense that we all know that we should, you know spend some draft capital on the defense. However, I'm afraid that if one of the guards falls, if one of the running backs falls, um, who's the kid's name out of Boston College, the uh, running back there? Um, A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon. If A.J. Dillon falls, these are guys that are, I just think that'll be too tempting for Bill O'Brien. And to me, this is, 
more of like a prove it type thing than even than any of the trades that he's made as a GM. Like I don't dis- I actually will defend him all day when it comes to players are more valuable than picks. If you look at the where we would have been drafting if we had our first round pick or our second round pick and having Tunsil, Stills and Cooks are better than any of those picks that we could have had. I mean, at this point, both Tunsil and Cooks are still first round. If they were coming out of college now, they would still be drafted in the first round. So I don't disagree with players being worth more than picks, but we do need some youth and we need a lot more depth on our defense. Whereas our offense, like we can find a, a running back off the scrap heap. We showed Carlos it last Hyde, year. I mean, Carlos Hyde may come around and take a two million dollar contract, and there's our big body bruiser. Yeah. That we need to to mix in. Yeah, I think yeah. I think when you look at this team, I, I don't think that he'll go running back. One, I don't think Dobbins will be there. I think that's the only situation really where we can see that happen. Um, two, I think that there are a lot of good later round running backs that will potentially be available, and I, I think there's a couple that he's probably in love with. Uh, the kid out of TCU is probably going to be somebody that he's extremely in love with, Hasuo. Uh, Ah, I, I, these last names and first names are just incredible, yeah. but he's basically like 6'2", 6'3", 232, just a monster. Uh, he's working with the Footwork King. Um, he basically said that he is Derrick Henry 2.0. Um, so, may, you know, there's options for running back later on. I, I do think I, – I love the idea of moving back, maybe picking up another third potentially if a team gets uh, thirsty enough to be able to give something up like that. Uh, one thing to make sure that you guys don't don't take into consideration is just because we there's trades done on the mock drafts that you guys are doing in the simulators doesn't always uh, equate to the same value that is being offered, and I think that's a big one. Um, so trading back would be probably the most ideal situation for me, especially if we're going to go defensive tackle in the second round, as there are going to be guys available in the second round. Jordan Elliott's going to be available. There's just... Pat Storm, what do you mean? You can't just can't see them trading back with how things have unfolded. That that leaves me with nothing. Um, he may be kind of in agreement with me. I think that Bill O'Brien's so aggressive that the idea of trading back to him just won't happen. There's going to be a player that he sees that he's in love with that he can move up for, and he'll go get him. I don't think so. Versus. I don't see us moving up. I just can't see it. We don't have the capital. Unless it's BMAC. Unless it's That's BMAC. That's the only way I see this happening. But it, I don't see us I don't see us being able to get 39 from the Dolphins for BMAC. I think it'll be the, the other second round pick that we'll potentially get. I forget it's, it's in the later part of the, of the second round. But outside of that, I just don't know what else we have outside of BMAC. What, Kiki? Nothing. Jordan Thomas? What, are you going to package Kiki and Jordan Thomas? I mean, we just saw Rob Gronkowski go for a fourth-round pick. What do you think Jordan Thomas is going to fetch you? So, I don't know. I, I think with the with the defensive tackle class, while it's not considered super strong, I like a lot of the guys on tape. I love Jordan Elliott. I love Neville Gallimore. I love Ross Blacklock. Um, and I think one of those guys will be there. I think Justin Matabuke is, is, is going to be available. And I think you can grab a guy that's going to be able to be an anchor on your defense for the next four years and give you somebody to build around and then – Throughout the rest of the draft, you're going to add inside linebacker, which it's not a deep class, but there's some good players later in the round. 
Uh, William Gay Jr. is a really good player that could potentially come in. Um, oh, what's the linebacker that Pat's in love with? I think he's out of Michigan. Murray. Murray. And, or, or Greenyard. Is it Greenyard? I don't know. Maybe it's Murray. No, no, no. Pat, what, are you talking about Kenneth Murray? Yes. He's not going to fall out of the first round. It's him and him and Queen. They're they're basically the only two linebackers that will. Those are the. Go. I mean, Kenneth Kenneth Murray and Queen are the two that I would actually. I would imagine that the Texans would go up and get. I just Greenard from Florida. That's it. Um. Here. You, I mean, he's but he's a def, he's a defensive end. Yeah, that's that's why I, I thought you. So, I mean, possibly for a defensive end they would move up, but I I would think that they would move up for either a linebacker or a safety. I can't really see them moving up for a defensive end. And maybe not even an outside linebacker. Could you see them moving up for a defensive tackle if, like, if Kinlaw's medical reports is somewhat concerning for him? Oh, I would think they would move up for Kinlaw. You know, everybody knows that. I would think at this point, I would give up the whole draft to go get Kinlaw. He's the, again, he's the guy that could be um, franchise changing if he plays up to his potential. But I just, I don't see it happening. There's, there's enough defensive tackles out there that even if they don't get one of the first two, there's about three that are in that tier two level that one of them's going to fall to forty no matter what, and probably even even further along. I just think, uh, I think when you look at the biggest needs of this team, uh, Marlon Davidson's fun as well, but I don't think, I, I like Marlon Davidson more as an end than in, than as a defensive tackle. Um, I didn't see a lot of pocket pushing. Uh, I do like the defensive tackle from Utah, Lee Kai Fotu. I think he would be a very interesting prospect. But... I, like I said, and, and like we talked about, I mean, it's it's best player available. I think they can go all sorts of different directions with the 40th pick. Um, they have holes they need to fill. Um, you know, if, J- if Jalen Johnson's there, Jeff Gladney. Um, I think Damon Arnett is going to go a lot quicker than people think. I think he's going to go in the second round. Uh, I don't think A.J. Terrell is going to be there. But there's going to be some good corners there if they wanted to take them. Uh, Zach Bond, like you mentioned, um, A.J. Esperanza could potentially be there as well. Um, the defensive end from Penn State, who I'm really not big on at all. Um, how do you pronounce his name? That name's crazy, too. Yeter Yasu. I don't know. Hold on. I got, I got everything pulled up. but uh, Yeter Gross Matos. Out of Penn State. Um, outside of that, like I just don't really see. I think they can just do with what they want. I don't think Bill O'Brien is this guy that everybody thinks he is. I don't think he's just going to fall in love with the guy and trade up. I don't think he's going to fall in love with the guy and and sit there to get him. I think that if the right deal comes his way, he'll take it. Uh, a lot of people are just basing that off of the aggressiveness that we've seen for him to get players that he wants. But if you look at the positions on offense, that's done. And on defense, while we do have holes outside of defensive tackle, really that's the only hole on defense we have. Nolan, we love Derek Tushka out of, uh, out of NDSU. Um, 
Well, let's just do it like this. Do you think the Texans would move up to get any sort of edge rusher? Caleb on Chaseon. If he falls somehow, some way, to the Niners at 31, I could see them moving up. I think that's the only player I see potentially that they would move up for. I'm just going to go down by a position group and just ask you, we're moving up? If there's the right prospect, or what are we doing? Okay. Uh, Cornerback? No. Running back? No. Offensive tackle? No. Guard or center? No. I'm going to lump them together. Tight end? No. It's about the (laughs) only position group we know we're not (laughs) drafting. Uh, No. Safety? Really? No. Okay. Uh, Linebacker? No. Defensive line? Uh, Maybe Kinlaw or um, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. Um, Last name Brown. For some reason, I can't. I've been looking at names all day. Um, I know. They all blend together. Yeah, now they're all just a bunch of freaking names. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think those are the only three names. uh, is Caleb on, Chaseon, Kinlaw, or the defensive tackle out of uh, Auburn. Outside of that, I don't see anybody else that they're going to trade up for to go get. What about you? Let's start with you. Let's go. I think Kenneth Murray, um, he's actually on their their visit list. Yeah, they met with him twice. He he seems pretty solid. Um, He's one of those guys that has quite a bit of upside, but I just can't imagine – I can't imagine that he's going to be there. He's one of the he's one of the guys that has been I've seen him picked over and over and over in the first round that a lot of draft experts seem to like more, especially the ones that are closer to actual NFL teams, not the guys that are analytics driven or the guys that do it on the side, but the guys like DJ Jeremiah um, and Bucky Brooks, like that group. They love him in the uh, in the first round. So when the guys that are a little bit closer to NFL front offices are saying that he's a first-round pick. He probably is, whether or not he deserves it or not. But are we talking about Murray? Yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I could see them moving up to get him because they have actually talked to him. He does seem to fit the need, and he does kind of fit the rumors that are out there about them wanting to move on from, from BMAC. Okay. So what about defensive line, both tackle and end? No. There's not a player that jumps out to me that I think will be a realistic get that they'll that they'll move up for. Okay. Um, again, we all know my feelings about, about Kinlaw, and if we don't get Brown, well, then there's players like Jordan Elliott that, that'll drop. Um, I like Elliott. He's he's very comparable, and there's Leaky Fuku. Am I saying yeah, that right? And then the guy that what's oh, I can't think of the guy that played that's from Canada. I'm not sure. But regardless, it's like I don't that tier is still there, and they'll all be there at 40. So <laughs> there's absolutely no reason to move up to grab one of them, especially for defensive tackles, because we talk every year about how defensive tackles are a huge need, and those are the guys that always fall. Um, NFL front offices do not value them the same as. As us, essentially. Okay, so what about cornerback? No. Not one no. cornerback worth worth trading up for. No, there's some that are worth trading up for, but the investment that they've already made in, in our cornerback group, I believe it's actually our highest paid position group. 
Um, they've already got speed there, which is what he wanted. Um, so I just – the corners are what they are. I could see them going after a guy like Amick, Amick Robertson. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisiana Tech. Um, just because the type of position that he plays, he allows them to have more flexibility with Roby and how late they could possibly get him because he's one of the – one of the under-radar cornerbacks, but I don't see them going and getting him because of his size. Like, nobody's going to move up to the second round to get him just because of his size. No, no, they won't. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a I would probably say, a third, fourth round pick specifically just because of his size. He's 5'8". Uh, he's a bulldog, um, and he, he battles on every play. But he's really, in the NFL, he's going to have to play slot. He can't play outside no matter how much of an attitude and aggressiveness he has. He's going to have to stay in the slot. But he has the, he has the ability to play in the slot. And if he's there in the third or fourth, I think that would be ideal. But as far as from a trade-up perspective, I agree. I don't think that there's a cornerback worth trading up for. Um, do you think there's a cornerback worth taking if he's there at 40? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, who? What's his name um, out of... TCU? Shoot. Um, Utah? Arnett. Damon Arnett out of Ohio State? Damon Arnett, yeah. If he's there. Okabaya or whatever? Yep, if, if he Okabaya. falls. But I think that they're going to go after a safety instead of a cornerback. So uh, is there a safety worth trading for? I think so, but they're not on the uh, they're not on the on the list. They're not um, on the list. What do you mean not on the list? On the visits list. Oh. And oh, usually okay. the uh, the Texans kind of stick stick to that. Okay, but even if but, not, let's not let's not go based off of the list. Let's go based off of if you think that there's a safety worth trading up for to get. Oh, Delpit, so, definitely. Delpit. Delpit is Delpit is my absolute draft crush. Okay. I think that you. Pair him with Reed. Mm-hmm. Granted, it does I absolutely crush my dream of having both Reeds back there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Delpit plus um, Delpit plus Reed, that that's a secondary. What do you like I about Delpit? He's both. He's very very similar to how Justin Reed can play. They can both play center field. Um, they're both kind of do it all safeties. They can cover a lot of ground. So with the uh, Texans, they don't really play strong and free. They play they pay essentially two shell. So either one can play strong, either one can play free. So one can cover, one can roam. One can take the run, one can be the last line of defense. And they, they flip that, and they like to have that capability because <laughs> – Well, here's the thing with Delphi for me. I think that um... – uh, his tackling for me is what is the only thing that scares me away from him being to being able to play the interchangeable safety that the way we play on defense. But right. what I do like about Delpit is that lone free safety. Even though we don't play free safety, strong safety, that free safety, that center fielder that can roam in the backfield, uh, and while while Justin plays in the box and can also cover you know uh, running backs and tight ends, I I like that aspect of Delpit because then you're able to just kind of leave him in the back, let him roam around, make plays. Uh, I, I think he's I think he's the best safety in, in the draft. Um, but I also think there, Jeremy Chin's another one that I'm, I'm a big fan of um, that I wouldn't trade up for. But Delpit's probably the only one that's worth trading up for. I just don't think they will trade up for. 
No, fair enough. Um, the guy out of Cal. Difference is uh, Cody. I said it based on film, not the scouts. He whiffed on a ton of tackles in college. Yeah. He just doesn't wrap now, up. It's, it's not about anything else. To answer JJ Productions' comment, well, pe- people will never shut up about Dalton. Normally the high players never perform to mm. expectations. He's right. I mean, most of these guys that we get super excited for around draft time do not. Most guys in the NFL, I, the bust rate in the NFL draft is extremely high. These are guys that underperform. These are guys that maybe end up in bad situations. They get injured. That's just kind of like the fact of it. They, they're going to bring in a whole bunch of new players every year for – and they're going to compete for their jobs every single year. And we get super excited about a lot of draft prospects every single year. And then two years from now, we don't hear from them. I mean, we can all name off the top of our head several, especially in the third round, that just did not work out the way we wanted to. Um, but, as yeah. Texans fans, we can pretty much name anybody that was not a first-round pick. And we've even gotten to sprinkle in a couple of first-round picks recently that did not live up to the expectations. So, yeah, you're right. Most of these guys won't. But that's part of the fun of this week and part of the fun of draft week and minicamp and things like that is getting excited about the new blood. Yep, absolutely. That's why that's why there is that draft in, in industry out there, man. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, real quick, side note, um, happy birthday to Preston, who has been our editor, our podcast editor for, God, three years now. Um, happy birthday to you, dude. Thank you for everything you do behind the scenes. People don't see it. Uh, they don't know who you are because you're – kind of a mystery figure to most of these people, but um, thank you for everything you do. Happy birthday. Also, guys, uh, Saturday is the last day for the Brian Cushing game-worn autographed jersey that uh, Pat Storm and I are doing for um, uh, the, the hospital workers and things of that nature. So make sure you guys hit up Pat Storm on Twitter, and, uh, you know, it's a dollar a raffle ticket, so just hit them up about that. Um, all right, so we went through safeties. We went through cornerbacks. We went through linebackers with you. We went through defensive tackles, uh, defensive line in general. Is there anybody on the offense that you think we're not even considering that has a has given Bill O'Brien a sparkle in his eye? Oh, watch him find a quarterback. Um, honestly. There's probably a tight end out there because we have to draft a tight end every single year. Um, we shouldn't be looking at any offensive players, I think, in this year's uh, draft. Like we, Outside we really of a later, later round running back, maybe. Yeah, like a big body running back, that's it. Um, but like you said, with Bill O'Brien, you've – You really don't know what direction he's going to go because the offense is going to get very, very tempting for him. Um, I can definitely see him go, reaching up and getting a new toy. Um, if Brian Edwards, if he falls, um, T. Higgins, if he falls, of course, the guys that have been constantly talked about, I believe they've had visits with T. Higgins. So, you know, always got to have a Clemson receiver. It's a, it's stated law. We've lost two Clemson players this year, so we've got to draft one, um, right? Um just goes with the mantra. You know? Then That's it. 
that's it. Um, I mean, if there's another gadget-type wide receiver, um, I love K.J. Hamler out of Penn State. If he fell, I could see us I could see us definitely um, spending a pick on him. But I think that with Brandon Cooks, it's a little bit redundant. However, here's kind of the thing about both Brandon Cooks' and David Johnson's contracts. There's essentially one-year contracts. So that's why as much as we sit here and we say we do not need a defense or an offensive player for this year, let it seep in the back of your head because both of those guys are playing year-to-year contracts. Um, this is prove-it years for them. Yeah, I would say that in the likelihood, if we looked at both scenarios, the most likely to come back would be Brandon Cooks, given that Will Fuller and Kenny Stills are both free agents next year. Uh, and they, they could do a restructure, give them more guaranteed money, um, lower the cap hit, and, and make them happy for the next three years. Um, David Johnson, no matter what he brings, I don't, there's no, I just don't see him coming back next year. But anything is possible. I mean, I think his cap hit next year is $9 million. Um, so if it's him and, and Duke again next year, maybe. You know, maybe it just depends on everything else. But ideally, I think, or not even ideally, I just think realistically, I think there's a good chance that he's gone. Um, they're probably going to run him into the ground as hard as they can this year. But, yeah, I mean – so I guess with that, what what is your ideal draft scenario? If you could go through the, what do we have, seven picks? If yeah, you, if uh, first pick. Position one, at least. You can first say names pick, too. something somehow works out. Um, the uh, linebacker, is it, it's Patrick Queen? Yeah. It's Queen. He would be our first pick. Okay, second round. Absolutely pray. Third round? Third round. Um, probably the Ashton Davis out of Cal, the safety that's been getting a lot of late love. Yep. I like him a lot. Yep. And then with the fifth pick in the fourth round? Oh, A.J. Dillon or, or Fontu, Leaky Fontu. Okay. The defensive tackle out of Utah? Yep. Defensive okay. tackle out of Utah or the, the running back. Okay. Um, I like AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon, um, I do. <laughs> as much as I, he's one of those guys that I typically have more of an offensive side of the ball. So I typically look at receivers, quarterbacks, and running backs all day long. And AJ Dillon, with the right blocking scheme and as a changeup back, he would be very, very appealing. Okay. And then in the fifth round, at pick number twenty-five in that round. This is where um, you're in Devin, this situation. Oh shoot! I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do it. Devin Duvernay. Okay. Out of uh, out of UT. Over Colin Johnson. Yep. Oh, definitely over Colin Johnson. Okay. Okay. And then uh, uh, three picks on the seventh. Um. Hopefully Tuska's still there. Um. Out of NDSU. Uh. He's Derek Tuska is one of my favorite players. He's taken draft Twitter by storm though, so he's no longer a secret. Um, however, I did have the pleasure of watching him quite a bit due to my wife's um, family. Okay, two more in the seventh. It depends on whether or not we took Dylan in the fourth. If we did not, um, Olin, Olin, shoot, Sewu. Oh, yeah, from TCU. 
from Olin Olin Nilu. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. If he if we ever get a, the chance to talk to him, I'm gonna have to uh, absolutely apologize for butchering his name. If we do not take Dylan, if we actually go with Leaky Fatu, Fawcett. You know this is gonna Leaky Fawcett. Leaky Fawcett. Um, if we go with him, um, then I would say Siwoo. If we do not, um, Are you talking about guy? the T- you're talking about the TCU running back Siwoo Olanilu, yep. right? Okay. Yep. The guy over TCU. Um, if we do not. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to change it up. We're going to pass on Dylan. Okay. Because it just makes more sense and just go with Siwoo. Go with it. Okay. Siwoo. Yep. And then our very last pick. I don't know. Does it matter at that point? Yeah, it matters. <laughs> it all matters. Um, I'm not sure. Okay. How about just uh, how I, about th- a I thought we weren't going to talk about players, so I honestly didn't put a list together. Okay. So no, I'm I didn't about. either. How about a position? That's where I was going originally, and then you. Oh, it'll be a special names. teams player. Special teams. Somebody that somebody that can play special teams. So probably. Um, that's corner. always our last pick. Somebody that can play with special teams. Okay, so ideally for me, the draft would go with Black Blacklock in the second round at forty. Um. Probably. If Willie Gay Jr. is there somehow in the third, I'd be fine with that. If not, I'd go probably Logan Wilson out of Wyoming inside linebacker. Then I would go with the running back out of Louisiana Tech. Um, uh, now I'm just – we've had so many names. Now I'm just totally lost. Well, we talked about him for a while, 5'8", slot corner. Um, Amik Robertson, sorry, Amik Robertson. Uh, and then in the fifth round, I would like to go Quez Watkins out of Mississippi State. Uh, four three five return guy, uh, wide receiver gadget, very Tyler Irvin esque. Um, give us a little competition for DeAndre Carter in the return game. Also another guy that you could put out in the flats and do things with if you wanted to on the offensive side of the ball. And then first pick in the seventh round, I would go NDSU defensive end Tuska, uh, um, whatever his name is. Um, then I would go with. It's very true. No, it's very true. That's why I was telling them. It, it, it definitely matters where you, where you take them. It's true, but if we knew their names, they wouldn't have been seventh round. Very true. Very true. Uh, and then I would take the TCU running back, Suwu, just because I, I, I do think that he'd be a very interesting piece to this offense. Uh, and then I'd probably grab probably another corner. Um, if I you know if I had to, it'd probably be a corner just because I – like, you could just never have too many corners. I know we took Amik Robertson, um, but I just – if you can, why not? So probably if I had to pick one corner in the seventh round, I'd probably go – probably Parnell Motley out of Oklahoma. Oh, the cornerback Lamar Jackson. There you go. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. Just because like that'd it. be fun. Somebody, one, a team's gonna have fun with that. Some team. Some team will have fun with that, and it won't. He won't be on the cover of Madden. Um, you know. But in like an IDP league, you can say, "Hey, 
Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to some sneak them in. Let's get to some Q and A, so that way, uh, since we have such a long podcast tomorrow being put out, will probably be a shorter stream tonight. Um, plus, we got a busy week of draft and all this other fun stuff that's happening. Thank God, um, a little bit of normalcy. So there's a bunch of questions. Let me find them. So moving back, yep, 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 okay, Jalen Johnson, no. John, the one that ended up from XFL from Battlehawk, no. Uh, we need a running back. Oh, here we go. Would you say that there is any truth to the stills rumors, John? No. Um, so essentially that all started because Aaron Rice, who – Aaron Reese or is it Rice? Aaron Reese. Or Reese. Um, again, another guy with the athletic. Again, he does a great job for the Texans, but he made a – more or less like a comment. It was a mailbag. The, yeah, it was a mailbag. Somebody on, asked him a question. On if there was a guy that was kind of able to be moved on from. And Stills was brought up. Um, there's two reasons why, to me, it's kind of silly to kind of discuss it. Granted, you know, with Bill O'Brien, you, you, you never know. Like, we would have argued a week before DeAndre Hopkins was traded that no way in a million years that it happens. But I would say this about Stills. Stills and Fuller play the same position. Cooks does not play the same position as them. Everybody's getting wrapped up again in, in speed. Yes, they're all fast. Um, Brandon Cooks does things that neither Stills nor Fuller can do, and Stills and Fuller do things that Brandon Cooks doesn't do as well. Can you be specific on what? Yeah, uh, Brandon Cooks is more of like the gadget player, the player that everybody wants. He can go deep, um, mainly because of speed, but he, he doesn't really get off blocks very well. However, when he was first Drafted, one of the things that everybody talked about was his ability to stop, start, move side to side. They didn't think that he could have straight line speed the way that he does. And he wasn't really picked to be a, a deep threat. He was picked to return punts and to take Darren Sproles' spot in the Saints offense. Like that same sort of gimmicky, gadgety player, short passes, get ball in space, let him do work. Uh, where Cooks has really found value is he's developed into a, a very good deep threat on top of that. So he is closer to, you know, other gadget-type players like Tyree Kill or Debo Samuel. Like, those guys, um, he's a rich man's um, Taven Austin. He just does a lot of those little things that adds a lot more um, variety to your, to your offense. Like, he's going to be the guy that does the jet sweeps. He's going to be the guy that's in motion. Not that Fuller and Stills can't, but they – they're more of straight-line speed guys, and they're both better at catching the ball, even catching the ball deep, even though we talk about fuller still hands, like both, or fuller with stone hands. But he has a much, much higher catch percentage than Cooks does. But he doesn't have that, that lateral quickness, the ability to start and stop the same way that Cooks does. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted you to do it for them so they can know what you were talking about. Okay. But no, that kind of goes back to why I don't think that any of them are expendable because they all do different things. Yes, Cooks and Stills are, or I'm sorry, Fuller and Stills are a little bit redundant, but you need that, especially with uh, Fuller's injury history. And I think that another year with Stills and Watson getting their timing down, we're just going to see great things out of Stills. Okay. All right. Uh, Next question. If, even if David succeeds this year, do you think he is still gone, John? Even if David succeeds this year? Yeah, David Johnson. David Johnson? Possibly because of the way his um, 
his contract structured. Just there's a, there's still that possibility. You don't want to pay running backs. Again, we have him on essentially now on a one year deal, and it depends on what type of success he has. If he comes out there and he looks like the second coming of Marshall Falk that we all thought he could be, if he comes out and he puts up a 1500 total yard season then, yeah, they probably justify paying him that much. Otherwise, they're going to restructure his contract, and, you know, he's not going to be the biggest fan of that happening. But, yeah, he's I see him as more of a one-year type. Let's see what happens. I think that, honestly, Bill O'Brien wants his Kevin Falk-style player. Like, I think that's what he really wants. And he's giving both David Johnson and Duke Johnson the opportunity to essentially audition for that. And Duke Johnson has... I, he was a great player for us last year. I agree. No, I mean, I think I think that there's a way. I, I honestly don't think that he'd be opposed to a restructure on his contract. That gives him a little more guaranteed money. Since his contract was signed, there are has not been another outside of Le'Veon Bell that has had a running back signed a running back to a contract of that magnitude. If you look and watch, Melvin Gordon signed for five million dollars. Um, it, money isn't being thrown at running backs before. So a restructure and giving him more guaranteed money, if he does have a productive year, I don't think is out of the question. Um, but most of the time, players don't want to restructure. But at the end of the day, when you have no guaranteed money and you're cut, then a restructure is better than testing the market and potentially losing out on that money. And that's it's a gamble. So um, I think all, all scenarios are on the table. I also I think there's a good chance that Kenny Stills is back. I don't think Kenny Stills is going to demand a lot. Uh, he'll be entering his, what, I think this is his ninth, tenth season, something like that. Uh, I think he was drafted in 2011. So, um, you know, his market isn't going to be massive. So you could probably like you could likely sign him for a decent contract and have, bring him back. Right now it's all about signing Deshaun and Laramie. And once that's done then they'll have an idea on where they're going and what they're going to spend to be able to start to make other plans. But also, another thing to keep in mind, after the draft, comp picks aren't an issue when signing free agents. So you're going to start to see some of these other free agents start to um, get yeah. picked up. Jadavian Clowney, Seattle's not getting a third-round pick for Jadavian Clowney now. <laughs> so for all yeah, you guys that said up. we should let him go because we were guaranteed to get a third-round pick, Nothing's guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And that's probably that's part of the reason why everybody got quiet on free agency. Nobody wants nobody wants to give up that that comp pick. Yep. And we'll see a lot more start to happen. I believe it's May fifth when they can start signing people, and it doesn't go against the comp the yeah. comp pick formula. So that's that's when we'll start to see players move again and. Yeah, like you were saying, Jadavian Clowney, if we had kept him, we wouldn't have gotten anything. Except, you know, we might beat the Chiefs. But that's neither here nor there. Um, and as for Kenny Stills, he was drafted in 2013. 13. So he's a 28-year-old. Um, Fuller, I mean, Fuller is the better player over Stills because he can stay healthy. I, I love Stills. Stills is, again, one of the better – he's one of the most efficient wide receivers in the league. But let's be honest, Fuller is an absolute game changer when he's healthy. Game but changer. The thing there, but the thing there is if he's healthy. Yeah. Yeah, Cody, I agree. If we can sign Snacks, that would be fantastic. Because then you can move Jernigan over to the opposite end of JJ. 
gives you a little more flexibility. You have a guy that can come in and, and learn under snacks at, at the defensive tackle position, similar to what we did with DJ Reader and Vince Wilfork. Um, that is a very ideal situation for me. Um, and then it just gives the Texans even more flexibility in the draft. But uh, I just don't think that that's going to happen. So, all right. Uh, anything else? You guys got any other questions? About 10 seconds before we wrap it up. No? All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you guys hit the click, like, and subscribe button. Um, I would really appreciate it. You think the next deal might happen post-draft depending? Yeah, I think there's a better chance post-draft for sure. I think the value is just going to continue to go down. Um, the best part about the draft is that teams are filling a position of need, so the value of these free agents starts to go down even more. Um, so there's a good chance that something like that could happen. Johnny, yeah, and yeah, I was well, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I figured you want to say something. No, um, I think that either read or snacks happens after the draft, depending on how the draft goes. Yep. Um, if we're able to get a quality defensive tackle, but we don't get a safety, then, then you know, we may have the Reed brothers. I think that's really just kind of reading the tea leaves, tea leaves. That is actually out there, and it is in play. It's just depending on the draft. Uh, Reed was released, so there's no comp pick, so we'll probably know sooner rather than later. And I can't believe he was released, but you'll see. Yeah. Um, and then pass rush over corners, the Chiefs proved it. Um, granted, the Patriots for, I don't know, like 15 years kind of proved that it was coverage over pass rush. Yeah. And then a few years back, the um, the Broncos had a defense that had all pass rush and all coverage, but nobody in the middle. So there's there's a lot of different ways to win in the NFL. Um, they all work. Um, you just hopefully have a coach that makes a decision on which way to go and commits to it. Yeah. No, I think uh, I want to see the cat, but I don't want to, like, jerk my head and go <laughs> go grab him. Let me see. Hold on. What if Reed's brother leaves and Reed also wants to leave? They're, I mean, they're individuals. I think Eric Reed would probably be playing for his last contract regardless. If he came over to the Texans and didn't make it work, he just wouldn't be around much longer. And Justin Reed, we, we have control over. So he still has his contract. We'll still have the opportunity to franchise him if he continues to elevate his game. Even though we don't really want to ever use franchise eggs on safeties, but we would have control over over Justin. Yeah, no, I like I like Eric Reed. I think it'd be in, I think it'd be an interesting dynamic. I think they're they're very very different uh, safeties, which is awesome. Um, they bring a lot of different things to the game. All right, John, anything else? I just want to reiterate: please subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Um, we don't really chase the clout, however, getting interviews and having some of these things that kind of happen, having followers helps. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the more subscribers, like I, and David Johnson's a great get, but imagine who else I could potentially get if I had, you know, more YouTube subscribers. So, yeah, for sure. Um, but we appreciate everybody that supports us. It's just amazing to be able to have it. You know, I, I was talking to somebody today. Uh, I was messaging them, and they were like, what? You, you know who I am? I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. Like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, I, I love you. Like, that's crazy. Like, yeah, dude. Like, I, we all we support everybody. We're not here for the clout. We're not here for any of that stuff. We're just here to have a good time and have fun, make a name for ourselves, and 
go from there. Uh, the Johnson interview, no, the date is not set, but he did call me yesterday. Uh, yesterday? Monday? Yeah, yesterday, and said, hey, sorry, the draft is going on. I'm crazy busy. He has like 13 eight, uh, prospects that are potentially going in the first round, um, but says to that persistence is key and that he swears this is going to get done, so um, to just stay on top of them. So I, I, I imagine it'll happen sooner rather than later. I think it's just a bad timing on on our part as far as the draft and things like that. So, um, But, yeah, it'll happen. All right. Uh, well, with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Uh, this should be a really good one for you guys. If, anything, if anybody's looking for any information around the draft, you're about to get three to four hours full of it. Make sure you go follow Texans underscore draft, Texans underscore thoughts. Um, they helped us out with this podcast. Go follow Dane Brugler. Um, and, yeah, keep supporting us. And uh, we appreciate you guys. Enjoy the draft. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk soon. All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am Young Ari Gold, and this is a part of our mega draft episode that will be out on Wednesday. Uh, I'm very fortunate to work to talk with a upcoming, I think an upcoming writer, I think really just a, a great film guy. If you guys don't follow him, you guys need to follow him at uh, Texans underscore thoughts. He is, right, is that right, Texans underscore thoughts? Yep, yep yeah, that's what I thought. Um, to kind of talk about the draft, talk about the top five positions uh, on defense that the Texans should be looking at. Maybe we'll throw in a running back here or there. Uh, but Texans thoughts, uh, thank you so much for, for taking time. Should I call you, Jordan? I, I feel weird calling you by Texans thoughts. Yeah, I've actually talked about that. It's kind of a, a bit of a long name, kind of a tongue twister. So, yeah, Jordan's good. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you, dude, for, for taking time. Uh, you know, for, for those that don't know, you were uh, picked up by Battle Red Blog about, uh, what, three weeks, a month ago? Right before DeAndre yeah. was traded, right? Yeah, I was right before that. Sounds about right. Yeah, so that's that's big news, working with Matt Weston over at Battle Red Blog. Obviously, Battle Red Blog has a history with the team and the organization, so that's a very good spot to land. Matt's probably one of the better reporters that doesn't get enough credit for what he does for the Texans fans and uh, organization. But that's awesome, man. Talk a little bit about that, and then uh, you know, just kind of talk a little bit about yourself and what, what you're doing on Twitter and things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. I'm really grateful, for first of all, for you having me on this podcast. I think it's a great opportunity to help grow myself as well. Um, but uh, for BRB, yeah, Matt's, I'm really grateful for Matt. He reached out to me. It was a great opportunity. Obviously, the blog's really, really a great opportunity for everything, and they do great work. And I'm really excited to, to really start writing more because, you know, I was tweeting, but that's just, you can only go so far with that. It's a little bit limiting, right? And so with writing, it, it's it's been a great passion of mine and kind of just to be able to tell a story more with with these like film breakdowns that I've been doing. So with uh, with draft season going on, I've been writing a lot of articles about that and kind of having a daily uh, breakdown where I'll, I'll post some videos and some um, text about that. It's kind of explaining um, some positives and some negatives about some players. So you can look out for that on my Twitter. Uh, I really love doing those breakdowns and really love the draft. I, I definitely get a bit too invested in it for my own good. But, yeah, um, in terms of anything else about me, uh, I'm a student, so going through that and trying to balance all this stuff, it's, it's definitely been fun. Football's always been a big passion of mine. I love watching it and just even analyzing it, it really takes it to another level. And, yeah, it's really something I love and really glad I didn't have the opportunity to do this. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're all, you're in Canada, correct? I am, yeah, BC. Which is awesome. So we have a, a pretty huge Texans fan in uh, in Canada. How did you become a Texans fan? 
Um, I really fell in love with watching Andre Johnson and Arian Foster. Those two, those are my two favorite players growing up. They kind of just like, they really gave me, they showed me how to love football. They were just so exciting to watch. And then I always play with the Texans on, on Madden because those are two of my favorite players and they'd be fun to use and score touchdowns with. And then I really started to fall in love with like their defense, like J.J. Watt, Brian Cushing, all those guys. I really, it really like shaped what type of football teams I like. It's like tough, hard-nosed defensive teams, but then with like that star wide receiver running back. And then, yeah, I've just been a fan ever since. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about the draft. Um, like I said, your, your film breakdowns and your understanding of the game and the way it works, um, specifically in the college rankings when looking at these guys, um, you, you're definitely one of the better follows um, for Texans Twitter. So I wanted to start, you know, talk a little bit about the, the needs and uh, kind of where the Texans are should be looking with uh, in the upcoming draft, which is six days away. We're recording on Saturday. Um, so let's kind of talk about the needs. And I'd like to hear your top position of needs on the defensive side of the ball, and then we can just kind of have a conversation about that, then we'll hop into um, the defensive tackles. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would probably list it as interior defensive line, number one, and then probably edge, cornerback, uh, then safety in the linebacker. That would be probably my order. I think interior defensive line is really important. As Bill O'Brien mentioned in his uh, recent press conference, with the, the loss of DJ Reader, that's a big hole to fill. And I think everything really starts in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And so if you get these big, strong guys who can affect the quarterback from the trenches, that's really going to trickle, trickle down to the rest of your defense and really help everyone else outdo their job. So I think if we can get really good interior defensive linemen, that's going to just help everyone else on the defense. Yeah, I agree. I think also we're starting to see somewhat of a transition in the NFL where that interior push, that interior pass rush, rush is becoming more more important because these quarterbacks are, are a lot more athletic. Um, their escapability has increased over the last couple of years, and those edge guys, while they are they are extremely important, especially the J.J. Watts of the world, but when you're able to um, kind of dominate in the interior and push that pocket back, you really make a quarterback uncomfortable. When you look at, like, the Chris Joneses, the Aaron Donalds, the Grady Jarretts, things of that nature. Um, and I, the Texans have been lacking that for an extremely long time. So I would agree. I think uh, the defensive tackle position is definitely the top need, in my opinion. Um, then I would probably go, yeah, edge. I would probably put safety over corner. Uh, and prior to Bill O'Brien's press conference, I might have put corner over safety. But given the fact that he didn't mention Sean Gibson, uh, kind of has me somewhat concerned as maybe they're looking for another guy to pair with Justin Reed for the future. Um, and on top of that, like Gibby was was I'm banged up most of the season last year. Justin Reed was banged up a lot last year. Um and mm-hmm. I think we, we both know, like, Eric Murray, while at times he has good film uh, in times that he played, he's a, he's a sure tackler, plays very good in the box, not somebody you kind of want to leave alone in coverage. But um, And then you have Jalen Watkins, who, you know, pretty much is almost a similar player to Murray. So um, I would put safety. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that would be it on the defense. And then I'd probably put running back in as just, like, another need potentially. Um but we'll get into that. So why don't we talk about the defensive tackles? So I'd love to hear your rankings of the top five defensive tackles that will potentially be there in the second round. We know uh, the two, the kid from Auburn is not going to be there. We know Javon Kinlaw is not going to be there. Um, there's a couple mid, you know, mid first, 
mid, you know, uh, early seconds that are possible at the 40th pick. So why don't we start to talk about those defensive tackles? Yeah, sure. For my ranking at number 40 for DTs, I'd go Neville Gallimore. I got Davon Hamilton, Jordan Elliott, Ross Blacklock, and then Marlon Davidson. And so starting off with Gallimore, we kind of agreed that's kind of our guy. He's just a freak athlete for the position. He's got he pairs out with really violent hands, and he has a wide array of pass rush moves. Like I've seen him use club moves, swipes, swims, spin moves, and that's really great to see for a young interior defensive lineman. Because most of those guys, they kind of just have one move and then maybe a bull rush. But to be able to have that many moves at a young age, it's really great, and it's really going to help him in the National Football League. And one thing about Gallimore is that his production might not have been that great, and that might scare some teams, but that's because at Oklahoma, he was really used wrong, in my opinion. He was played a lot at nose tackle, at one tackle, and so he had to, he had to deal with a lot of double teams. But I think we should be using him as three, at a three-tech, where he just has to face a one-on-one block, and he can really destroy that with his, his quickness and with his pass rush moves. And then I also think he's pretty decent in the run game. It's, I wouldn't say it's like a big strength of his, but he can stack and shed blocks pretty well. And that's especially where you see his uh, his athleticism with his like his four seven nine forty he ran. Normally for D-Lineman, I don't really care how fast you run your forty. When are you really going to be running forty yards down the field? You're not. But for him, it actually shows up on tape where he'll he'll knife into the backfield, and I've seen him chase down running backs. I've seen him sniff out screens and run sideline to sideline to make a tackle. So his speed and his like motor there, it's a really big plus. So I think Almore, he'll definitely be the dream for me at forty. Yeah, I, I, we both agree. We, we've talked uh, about Gallimore quite a bit. I, I think he he fits the Texans' needs, um, and you know, really only a one-year starter. But you know, when you just look at his size, his frame—I mean, he's got thick arms. He's got a quick quick release. Um, I, I just I don't know if he is going to be. I feel like the mock drafts and the the grading skills that scouting and draft analysts are putting out there. Um, I. I I don't think they're giving him enough credit. I, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if a team took him in the first round. I think just with his quick and, and powerful hands, uh, his ability to you know not be pushed back, uh, he needs to improve on pass rushing skills if he's going to play that role specifically in the NFL as well. Um, but as a you know a run defender, he's not necessarily a liability, but that's an area of improvement for his game as well. But I agree. Like Gallimore is a player, and uh, I, th- I think he'd be a great fit for this team. I. I just hope that he's there because I think there's a good yeah. chance that he's actually taken in the first. I definitely feel you on that. He's my interior defensive lineman number three. I gave him a first-round grade. I definitely think a lot of teams will, and it's interesting what you said that the mock drafts, they probably won't line up with what we're going to see in real life, and they never really do, but this year in particular is going to be a lot more unpredictable with the lack of like workouts and meetings. And so, yeah, I think he'll definitely be a guy who he'll be in that late first round, maybe second round. He's one of those guys that we, we should hope he'd fall to us for sure. Yep, I would agree. All right, so let's move on to number two for you. Yeah, so one guy I really like is Davon Hamilton. I think at 40 he would be a bit of a reach. Um, I would like to like trade down maybe 15 to 20 picks. That's like my main strategy right now is I really want us to trade down and just accumulate another maybe third or fourth rounder. But, um, yeah, for Davon Hamilton, I like him a lot. He can step in at nose tackle day one and replace T.J. Reader, probably like 75% of him. He's really great against the run, really strong. He'll stack and shed really great. He can two-gap and everything that we want from our defensive linemen. He's versatile where he can play nose or one. 
a little bit of three. He won't give you that much pass rushing. That's the only problem is that right now he really just has a bull rush, and even that is a bit inconsistent. But the thing is that he's so strong, and it, it works when he does do it, but he's pretty inconsistent when he decides to do it. But, um, yeah, he's one of my favorite guys for just to be a nose tackle, just to be a big body, to clog up to clog up lanes, take on double teams. And he's really underrated for me on the Ohio State defense. He really made everyone else's jobs easier. He made Chase Young's job easier, their linebackers, everything. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, Hamilton would be would be a good addition to this team. I mean, he's just a beast of a man, 320 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not – not to like compare him too much to Gallimore, but he also has extremely violent and physical hands as well. So um, I think he could eventually develop into a decent interior pass rusher. Um, but from a run stuffing standpoint, he's he, I think he'd be pretty good um, for your prototypical nose tackle. All right, so number three, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so a lot of the other I guess scouts they have like Marlon Davidson, Ross Blacklock, those guys a little bit higher. I have those a bit lower, and one of the guys that I really like is Jordan Elliott. Um, I guess I wouldn't. I would also want to trade down from 40 for him. Maybe he'd be a target at more like 90. But I really like his athleticism, his quickness. He's got violent hands as well. He's really after Gallimore. I would say he's the best like pass rushing interior defensive lineman. He's not amazing in the run game. He's pretty. He's pretty decent. He shows flashes of being able to stack and shed and get off blocks. But you really can't have him dealing with double teams whatsoever. But uh, anyways, where he thrives is definitely. As a three-tech, just getting upfield, attacking the quarterback. He has a wide variety of moves. He is very raw. He only had one year of starting experience. But from what I've seen, his flashes are just, you really have to bank on that potential. And I believe in our D-line coaches to be able to coach him up and get him to be a consistent player. Yeah, I mean, he's strong, slippery. Um, his effort and pursuit is is there. Um, I would agree. I don't know if, he'll, if, if that's where we want to go with 40. I, I'm kind of also with you. I, I wouldn't mind if the Texans traded back. Uh, to, to gather some more picks as this team really has a lot of positions of need, uh, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. And the more at-bats, I think, the better for this team, especially coming into the 2020 season with a new scheme, new defensive coordinator. Um, I, I like Jordan Elliott. I think, uh, you know, based, like you said, one-year starter um, has a high ceiling, a lot of potential there. It's just you have to wonder if they'll be able to develop that potential and turn it into what it could be, if that ceiling could really be reached. And, I mean, we've shown really good ability to be able to do that. You know, if he came in mm-hmm. and learned from from Jernigan, um, obviously Weaver would be able to work with him as well. We, we've seen, like, even if you look at Brandon Dunn, who isn't a household name, Brandon Dunn's really improved year over year with this team. He's gotten better and better. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of people won't talk about him because they all think that DJ Reader was was really the only one in the trenches doing work. But Brandon Dunn actually had a pretty stellar year last year, and the year prior he was even better. So, um yeah, I mean, this this team's ability to be able to develop, um, you know, in defensive linemen, and, it, well, I wouldn't say defensive linemen, I guess. Uh, our edge guys haven't really developed, but our interior guys have developed. So uh, I would agree. I like Jordan Elliott. I think he would be a good pick. It might even be in the third potentially, but, um, yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about your, your next guy. Yeah, so just really quickly adding on to that, people forget that DJ Reader, he was a fifth-round pick. He yep. was just a pure nose tackle coming out of Clemson. He showed nothing in the pass rush game, but then we really developed him. We added some, he added some pass rush moves this past year, and now he's like the highest paid nose tackle in the league. So that's just yeah, another example. Yeah, and it's like very similar to like with Vince Wolfork. You know, Vince Wolfork mm-hmm. came in now, obviously a completely different tackle compared to uh, Timmy Jernigan. Vince Wolfork's 
a Hall of Famer, but still, DJ Reader came in, learned behind Vince, and you know when Vince left, DJ stepped in and filled that role, and there wasn't much of a drop off from a f- performance aspect. And uh, yeah. and and so you're 100 percent right. I mean, we grabbed Reader in the fifth, and he turned out to be a great player. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Uh, next guy I got is Ross Blacklock, and he's kind of like Gallimore to me, where he's a really great athlete. But the thing with Blacklock is, like, a lot of people have him, like, late first, early second. I'm not too happy with that. I don't know. He's just – he's one of the most inconsistent defensive linemen that I've scouted. There's one game – I watched five of his games, and his one game against Purdue was a really great game. He was unblockable. I'll give him all the credit for that. They could not stop his quickness. They couldn't stop his, his nice flight moves and swim moves. And they couldn't stop him. He was a monster. But then literally every other game that I watched, he was basically irrelevant. He just disappeared. Like, he wouldn't even be able to know he's on the field. And so that's what really scares me. So I guess his potential, if we can tap into that, we're talking about his coaching now. If we can get him to play at that high level consistently, then great. You've got yourselves a really good interior pass rusher. But if not, then I don't know. He's kind of a big boomer bust player for me. What do you think? Yeah, no, I would agree. I think he's boomer bust. I, you know, the potential is, is extremely high. Like if you were to look at the guys that we've talked about and mentioned Ross Blacklock in that conversation I would say that he probably has a higher ceiling than anybody that we discussed, but the mm-hmm. lack of production in college is what should scare teams off a little bit. Um, his versatility, though, is a plus because he can really play anywhere on the defensive line, um, which I think for this team could be beneficial. Um, I like Blacklock a lot. I, I'd probably have him behind Gallimore, um, but you're really banking on that potential. And... You know, I think when it comes to, let's say, the 40th pick, because I don't think, just based on his potential alone, I don't think he'll probably be there in the third round or even later in the second. I think this is a guy you'll probably have to grab at 40. Uh, but yeah. you're right, it, it's it's boom or bust with, with Blacklock. But I think, you know, there's a good chance that this could be not necessarily a steal because you don't get steals in the second round, but um, he could be a player that this team banks on for a while on the interior of the D-line. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. Um, I guess my last guy, since we're talking, I have a guy, I have a couple guys over him, but since we're talking about 40, this would be a guy you probably have to take at 40 is Marlon Davidson. And I know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about him. I think he's a really polarizing player because of how versatile he was. He played on the edge a lot for Auburn, played in the interior sometimes. And I don't know, I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's, He's not quick enough, not bendy enough for the edge, but then he's also not really powerful enough for the interior. So I think you can move him around a lot, but he's just he's one of those guys who he's good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. You know, he's he's solid in the run game, he's pretty stout there. But I don't know, I just I just I find a really hard time banking on his pass skills translating to the to the NFL based off what I've seen in college. I really didn't like his Auburn tape. The one thing you have he has going for me it's a senior bowl tape was really good, but then again, that was just practices where he was going one-on-one, but those are like tailored towards pass rushers winning. So I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts about Davidson. Yeah, I think with Davidson, um, you know, a four-year starter, uh, that's always a plus. Teams are going to love that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's really no injury concerns when it comes to him. On the edge, he, he's really a concern for me. Uh, he has, you know, inconsistent leverage. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to surprise anybody, any of the NFL offensive tackles with the burst around the edge. Um, he, he tends to rely more on his length. Uh, he kind of needs to work on his hands a little bit when it comes to from a pass rushing standpoint. Um, but 
at the end of the day, when you look, I think when you're looking at a player, you're looking for a four-year productive defensive end slash defensive tackle. I really don't know if he could play as a DT in the NFL. I mean, I know you can move him around and he's somewhat versatile, but I just I don't see him getting the push that you would like to get from your interior offense or your interior defensive lineman. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm not extremely high on him, but at the end of the day, I think that he could be one of those guys that you could potentially develop. I wouldn't expect it to be a guy that's going to impact you year one, which mm-hmm. I think for the biggest thing for the Texans is, and he basically, you know, Bill O'Brien mentioned in his press conference, he needs guys that are going to be able to come in. And that's why it's a veteran year specifically for, for Bill O'Brien and his approach. I think Marlon Davidson probably falls off that list just because I, I just don't see him coming in and making an impact the day one. And I think that's a big thing for this team. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And that's why his uh, Bill Bryan's press conference comments saying that interior defensive line is like their biggest need going to the draft, that's what kind of confused me because when, if, if you're not drafting at the top of the first round where you're getting the, like last year, the Quinn and Williams of the world, like this year, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, then the second round interior defensive linemen, they're always going to be pretty raw and really not ready for day one and even year one sometimes. Like a lot of the guys we talked about today, I really want to say like Gallimore is the one who's like ready day one. But all the other guys have got a lot to learn. And um, you brought up another point that Marlon Davidson doesn't really clap the pocket like you want. And mm-hmm. I'm finding with a lot of the other interior defensive linemen that they don't really have that skill. They don't have that bull rush. There's a couple guys that are like, like Dave Von Hansen I mentioned, but like, they don't really, they're more like finesse pass rushers where they'll try and get around an offensive lineman. They won't just like bully them and run straight down the middle of them and collapse the pocket. So, I don't know, that's one problem I, I noticed with the class. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree 100%. I, I think when it comes to uh, impact guys that could come in and make an impact early, you know, in, in regards to what Bill O'Brien said, I think it's more about production at the college level uh, instead of potential maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then, you know, I think we'll be in a bad position because I think you you got to find a good combination of production and um, – I don't know what the hell I was kicking um, – production and um, potential, and you have to be able to combine those two. And you're right. Like, there's not a lot of guys that are going to be able to do that. I think Blacklock, Gallimore, probably the, the first two that I think of that could potentially come in day one and make an impact. I think the other guys are really – they're, they're developmental guys. I think there's another guy in there um, that I, we haven't actually talked about that I would feel comfortable with if it was like a you know fourth or fifth round get would be Richard Lawrence out of LSU. Um, hmm. You know, three-year captain out of LSU, which is uh, something that I'm, I'm sure Bill O'Brien will be high on. That means a lot about his character and who he is as a person, which Bill O'Brien seems to value a lot. I'm not going to say that he's going to come in and just destroy, but he was very productive in college and could potentially be like a fourth or fifth round flyer that potentially comes in and makes an impact. Yeah, I'm not, I've never been a big production guy personally. Maybe that's a slight against me. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I should be putting a lot of stock into that. But I've never been that type of scout, I guess. I've always looked for the traits, the things that they can do well and that they can build on and that will translate to the NFL. So I've never really looked at stats so much like someone's stack numbers or whatever, but I get what you're saying, and that's probably a good indication of it. And um, in terms of Lawrence, I actually wasn't really a big fan at all of this game. I thought he, he didn't play with good leverage. He he was okay at stacking blocks, but he couldn't get off of them very well. I didn't like his ability to like finish plays at all. Um, but, yeah, I guess he would, he would be like a fourth or fifth round guy that you could 
you could build them up and you could do something. Yeah, I think when it comes to like the draft, I think like I said, it's a, you have to find a good potential, uh, a good um, mix of potential and production because while production, depending on like, are they playing in the SEC? Are they playing in the Big Ten? You know, what is the uh, talent level that they're going against week in week out? Um, so I think when you look at production, you have to look at those types of players that have produced against high level talent. I think when you're talking about, you know, the the low-end schools, you know, I think then you're starting to look at potential. Maybe that's just me, but that's kind of how I break it down. When I'm looking at, you know, a player that played at SMU, um, I'm going to look at potential. When I look at a guy that's playing against Alabama, I'm going to look at a good mix of production and and potential and see who would be the better person for me specifically, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think finding a balance is definitely key. It's, it's probably something I should I should definitely work on for myself. Yeah. Ah, well, that's all good. I mean, you're 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 just starting, so it's, you're yeah. you're 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 ahead of where you are. Don't worry about uh, don't don't be too hard on yourself. All right, so let's get to uh, let's get to the the edge guys. Um, so this, I mean, this really isn't the like the best edge class. Um, mm-hmm. probably one of the worst, honestly. You pretty much have Chase Young and then Caleb on Chesion, and then after that, it's a pretty significant drop off. Um. Where are your five guys for the edge uh, entering the 2020 NFL draft? Yeah, for me, I guess I'm going to start off with a question for you. Where do you see A.J. Epinesa playing at the next level? Do you like him on the edge or the interior more? Oh, God. Um, I'd probably say edge. I mm-hmm. I just don't know. I mean, he's got the size to play inside. I'd probably feel more comfortable playing edge, though, if I'm had to, if i being honest. Okay, yeah. I've gone back and forth on him so many times. I don't know where to line him up yet. I guess you could just – you don't have to pigeonhole him. I guess you can play him in both. I just – I really don't like his, like, lack of bend on the edge. That's yep. what really scares me. Lack of burst off the line of scrimmage. But he does have really heavy, strong hands. He's shown some nice moves. Um, I like him on the interior. I've seen him – be powerful, I think he could do it more often and more consistently, but I've seen him be powerful, just run down the middle people and bull rush people, so I think that's something, and that's where his lack of quickness like it would look better against interior offensive linemen, right, obviously, so I guess if you say he's an edge guy or an interior defensive lineman, I guess I feel pretty he's edge for now. Um, yeah, I guess like my be, biggest concern with him is like while he's able to um, you know, kind of crash the pocket in the college level, I just don't know if he has the strength to do it at the NFL level. So I, I think that's the biggest reason why I say edge more than interior because mm-hmm. those guys are completely different in the college game compared to what you're going against in, in the NFL. I mean, all of them are big. All of them are strong. Um, and I just don't know if year one, year two, he's going to be able to play on the interior. And then when you talk about if, if he's playing edge for year one, year two, are you really going to move him inside at that point? Um, I think he has the potential to – really build on the edge, but you're right. Like his leverage on the edge and his quickness is somewhat concerning. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I guess getting into my guys, the number one guy I've got for edge at 40 is Zach Bond. And he's really become the draft crush of mine. He's one of like my guys, quote unquote. Um, I wrote an article about him for BRB and he really, I don't want to play into that stereotype, but he really reminds me of TJ Watt coming out of Wisconsin, where he's a versatile linebacker. He can drop in coverage. He can rush the QB. He can play the run well, set the edge. 
And he's not like a crazy athlete, but he wins off of technique. And he's one of the best guys at rushing with a plan. And that's one of the main things I look for in edge rushers is do they rush with a plan? Because you can be this generational athlete, you can be like a Vic Beasley, right? Have all the explosiveness and everything. But if you're just speed rushing every time, or if you're just running into an offensive lineman with no plan of what move you're going to use, then you're likely not going to win because there's other great athletes out there who can match your athleticism. And so Bon, I think he's definitely one of the top guys for me at rushing with a plan. He'll He's really good at setting up offensive tackles. He'll start off the game with like a speed rush, and then he'll counter inside off of that speed rush. And then when he's got you thinking about that, then he'll do this other move where he'll start off the speed rush, he'll counter with a step inside, and then he'll swim back over to the outside. And so it's really just an advanced move like that where he has like a plan A, a plan B, and even a plan C to beat an offensive tackle. That It just gets me so excited about his, his skills translating to the next level. And um, so, yeah, he's a great pass rusher, and then he can also bring a lot of value in coverage. He's one of the better coverage linebackers dropping off and that and playing the run game as well. And so I think day one he can come in and he can take Brennan Scarlett's job as like that 3-4 outside linebacker who can play the run, who can rush the passer, and he can stay on the field on third downs, while that's whether that's covering or rushing the passer. So I think that would be great for him to come in and, and take that role for us. Yeah, I think Bon um... – I think he'll have to add some weight to be he's, – he's very similar in, in as far as his weight goes to your boy, Jacob Martin, where he's going to need to add some weight to be a three-down player. Um, but I think his twitch, um, his, his speed, his trigger, I, I really think that you're right. Like, he, he has an opportunity to be a really, really good player in this league. Uh, I wouldn't be upset if Bond fell to 40 and that's where we went. While I think there are other needs, um, I'd like to see where he fits because if, if Witt's starting and is he going to battle it out with Jacob Martin, um, I mean, Brendan Scarlett, like, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not a big fan of Scarlett. I hate that he starts. Uh, I'd rather actually yeah, have okay. Jacob Martin on uh, opposite of Witt and just kind of deal with, you know, his liability in the run game because I still think that what he brings as a pass rusher is going to outweigh what Brendan Scarlett brings. Um, now, Brendan Scarlett has developed over the last couple of years, but I just don't see Brendan Scarlett ever really being a guy. And um, I do see Zach Bond being a, a significant upgrade over that. It'd be interesting to see what the defense looks like. You can drop him into coverage, which is a nice thing that we've seen uh, We've seen Rack do in the past. I would assume we'll probably see Zach, uh, Anthony Weaver do the same thing with his guys. Um, I, 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 like, I like Bond a lot. I, I think he, uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean he's a productive player too, which is really one of the bigger pieces of this. Yeah, I'm 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 a fan. Yeah, I think talking about Scarlett really quick. I I don't like him either. I'm not a fan. I would love for Jacob Martin to take his role. I think he is just like a special teams player. He's good at that. I'll give him that. And he's definitely developed. He's gotten better, but he's still not even good at like setting the edge. He's okay at setting the edge, but like one thing that really bothered me about him last year is that he made the same mistake over and over again on these on these read option plays where he would be the read man, yep. Yep. and he would go and go for the running back, and then the quarterback would just take off. And I think it was against Baltimore, maybe, he gave up a touchdown in the end zone doing that. And he's just, like, making the same mistake over and over again. I just, I just can't see how Bill O'Brien's happy with that. So, yeah, getting off of him, I think we can move on from him pretty easily. Um, Bond, yeah, everything he brings in coverage, like, I'm tired of seeing like Whitney Merciless drop in coverage. Yeah, I'm tired of seeing Brendan Scarlett do it. Zach Cunningham's bad. Bernardrick McKinney's bad. Like, Bond would instantly be our best coverage linebacker. And so, yeah, 
I think it'd be a great fit. I agree. I think uh, I think he's more of like a um, God. I can't re- remember his name. I think he's a good mix and combination of like T.J. Watt and the dude from Dallas, uh, Vanderesh. Like Vanderesh, yeah, I see that. So yeah, I see some like Kyle Van Noy from uh, Yep, New England. That's the comp I always use. But uh, yeah, I think he brings a lot of value, and he's like a team captain. Everything he has all that like um, leadership qualities that Bill O'Brien loves. So I think he would be a great fit. I guess moving on to the next guy. Um, if we are calling up Epinesa an edge guy, he would be my number two um, for us to take at 40. I, I don't really know how his value is looking. He's definitely, I would say he's around one talent, but because of his poor athletic testing at the combine, he seems to be falling down boards a little bit. And in at least the mocks I've been doing, he's been showing up at 40 quite a bit. So if he's there, I would definitely be happy taking him. I think we've talked about him a lot, so maybe, maybe we can – save some time and move on from him, but I, I would really like him too. Yeah, all right, move on to the next guy. Yeah, um, next guy I got is Josh Uche. Um, I don't know about at 40, like you said, this isn't really a great edge class, and at 40 I'd rather go in other directions, but if we were to trade down from 40, he's a guy I was really looking at when we had that number 57 overall pick. Um, I just really like, he's a freak athlete, he's one of the freakiest athletes in this class, and um uh, I think it was Adam Schefter or someone tweeted out his, like, you've seen all these, like, pro day personal, like, workouts, right, on Twitter, where people post them there, like, super fast 40 times and stuff, and his workout was really interesting to me because he did a lot of coverage stuff, and I saw that on tape in Michigan, I really loved it, and his hips looked really fluid, man, like, they looked as fluid as some cornerbacks in this class, like, yep. it was crazy, and so as much as he can bring, I wouldn't say he's an advanced pass rusher, He's really just like a one-trick pony at this point with the speed rush, and it, it's really good because he's got crazy bursts and everything, but I wouldn't say he has a lot of moves. He doesn't really have a bull rush or anything, but at the senior bowl, he looked good. He terrorized those offensive tackles, so that was great, but his real big thing for me is his versatility, and in coverage, and I saw Michigan, they would line up really all their players everywhere and just be moving around, and it was crazy fun to watch. But I've seen Uche, he'll line up in B-gap, and then he'll run all the way back in coverage and protect the seams and, and run with a, a tight end down the seam. And that's just really crazy to see. So I think in college he was like basically he only played third downs for them. And I think he could do the same right away for us, whether that's rushing off the edge or dropping back in coverage and being kind of a nickel dime linebacker, doing some of that stuff because his freak athleticism is just crazy. So, yeah, I would really love him if we were to trade down there. Yeah, I think I like him as as a potential talent. Um you know, he kind of has suspect point-of-attack skills. Um, mm-hmm. He's really not able to detach from his blocks the way I would like for him to, but he's definitely a freak athlete. Um, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with taking him in the second round, but I know that a lot of GMs are going to put a lot of um, – give him a lot of credit and probably have him pretty high on their boards just because of who he is as an athlete. Um, I just don't know if, like – I look at our edge guys outside of, like, the, like if I look at outside linebacker and – I really wonder where some of these outside linebackers are potentially going to fit, right? Because we have Duke Edge 4 coming back. Uh, we have Jacob Martin, who we'd like to see, um, you know, continue to develop. And if you take another guy, are you going to hurt their development, especially if it's this early in the draft? Yeah, I feel that because, yeah, when you're taking someone in the second round, you're, you're prepared to give them a lot of snaps so that right. they can develop and they can show up and produce for you. And so yeah, as much as as much as I love and you love Jacob Martin, I want him to see, I want him to get a lot of snaps to really prove his worth. But I think 
if you have the opportunity to draft a Bon and Epinesa, maybe not an Uche, but you just have to pull the trigger there. There's just too good of talents where you don't want to bank on Martin, who was a, a, late, a really late-round pick. I don't know exactly, but he's a late-round pick. And yes, he's shown promise, but he's just not a complete player at the moment. And so if you can get a complete player like Bon or Epinesa, then I think those would be the guys that you would want to take at edge. I'm in agreement with you that you probably want to take Uche a bit later. And some of these other guys that I'm going to talk about, are more of like fourth, third round guys that could be like some package rushers. Yep. But yeah, I def- I'm definitely with you there. All right, hop into it. All right, next guy I got. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of stray away from at 40 because there's not really a lot of more guys that would take at 40. So, as a third round target with our third or fourth round target with our 90th or 111th pick, one of my favorite guys is Jonathan Grenard from Florida. Yep. I really like both of them, both of the Florida guys. I'm going to talk about the next Florida guy next. But, uh, yeah, Grenard, he's one of the more advanced guys with his, using his hands. I really like He's a good athlete, too. He's got good burst and pretty decent bend. But I saw a lot of nice moves from him, a lot of nice – he'll start off with his um, outside rush, and he's got good counters inside. He really loves spin moves. The thing with him is he had pretty good production. I'm pretty sure he had 10 sacks in his last year. And the thing is that he could have had probably 20. Like, I saw so many opportunities where he would get into the backfield, get to the quarterback, and then just miss a tackle, or the quarterback would evade him. And so I think the biggest thing for him is, number one, um, when he would get past an offensive tackle, also they would often, like, push him out of the pocket or push him past the quarterback. So I think he has to do better with finishing, beating those blocks and holding them off, and then also just, just cleaning up his tackling. He could have had, like I said, he could have had so many more sacks. So I think he's a pretty high four, but also a pretty high ceiling player if he does clean those little things up. And so, yeah, I really love him in the third round or fourth round. Yeah, I think, you know, he has first step quickness uh, to win at the snap, which is big. Agile feet, uh, very smooth laterally, um, and, and especially when moving to uh, pull off the blocks. I mean, he has very physical, strong hands. I, I, I like Greenyard a lot. I think um, a third or a fourth would be ideal. I think it would be interesting to see where he lines up and how we utilize him. Um, but yeah, I'm a fan of Green Yard as well. So go ahead. All right, next I got the next four guy, Jabari Zuniga. I probably want to take him in the fourth, maybe in the fifth, just because the main thing with him is his injury concerns. Right, he's barely on the field. He dealt dealt with a lot of those injuries, and the thing is that when he was on the field, though, he played really damn well. He was probably just as good as Grenard, if not better. And I really like his versatility. Where they would play him as a three-four outside linebacker. And it also bump him inside to like a five tech, and he could just play the run really well. He was really strong in the run. He played with great leverage. He's a bit of a smaller guy. He's kind of weird how he's built. He's six three, about two sixty. So he's like shorter, but then kind of bigger and stronger. And so that really helps him in the run game. He plays with great leverage, and in the pass rush game, he's not as good as Grenard, but he showed some nice inside moves. A lot of these speed, a lot of these um, edge rusher guys, they're great at speed rushing. But Zuniga was great at countering inside, and that's what I really loved about him. Yeah, he's a face-up rusher for sure. Um, biggest issue with me is just his hip flexibility. It's it's really not there. It's something he's going mm-hmm. to learn for the next level. But um, he's, I mean, we're, now we're talking about fourth, you know, third, fourth, fifth round guys that potentially have promise and potential. And that's, I think, that's really where you start to grasp at the word potential, because you're looking for guys who could really hit that ceiling and bring that to your team over the next couple of years. So I would agree. Um, yeah. Before you name your next guy, I wanted to ask you a question about somebody and see what your thoughts are, see if you've done any film on him yet. Yeah, um, sure. Derek Tezuka out of uh, North Dakota State. 
I'm, I'm thinking you're, you're reading my notes right here because he was actually my, my fifth guy. Okay, good. I was going to bring up. Sweet, yeah, sweet, I was going to bring up him. He's uh, definitely a late-round small school sleeper. He's from North Dakota State. North Dakota or South Dakota. I don't know exactly, but uh, I absolutely loved his tape. It was great. I'm, I'm really glad you brought him up. But, uh, yeah, he was super strong in the run game. Um, I really loved how he could extend his arms. He has short arms, but he extended them, stack and shed really well. He was just super strong. And that was one thing that I was worried about is as a small school prospect. And he looks a bit smaller for an edge, too, so I was kind of worried about how he'd hold up in, in the in the league. But, man, he was really strong at holding off blocks and stuff like that. And he was, he was pretty good in the pass rush game. I think I could have seen more diversity of moves. But he was pretty solid there, and there was this one play, this one sequence. I forget which game it was against, but it was late in the fourth quarter. There was like a minute left. It was the final drive. It was a close game. And Tuska just, he just absolutely took over. It was four straight plays. He's lined up against the right tackle, and he just beat the right tackle four straight times with the same speed rush and, like, hook under move. And he just embarrassed them, he, and he won the game for them with that. He, he beat him four straight times on first down to fourth down. He got two sacks out of it. He pressured the quarterback one time. It was crazy. And so, yeah, I really, like you said, he's one of those guys that you really want to buy into his potential as a small school guy. And so, yeah, he's definitely one of my, my sleepers and my favorite guys. I think when you look at when you look at him, I think p- potential is a big piece, but then you look at the production, and even though it's a small-time school, it's very hard to get 19 sacks in one season. But he also had 12 the year prior. Um, so it, it's not like it's a flash in the, in the pan. Um, John actually went uh, – his wife went to NDSU, so he actually, like, goes to all the NDSU games. And oh, wow. he is so high on this guy. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he thinks this guy is, like, the next thing. Um, and, yeah, especially with, like, a fourth or fifth-round flyer, like, this guy could really – this is really a a guy that could potentially be somebody that you're going to build around on the defense. It's just can – is that small school stuff going to be uh, a detriment to him when he hits the NFL? And is it going to be where he's going to have to adjust and it's going to take time? Or – uh, is he just kind of come in and is just able to do it? You know, is it his fault that he went to a small school? Uh, there's so many different pe- moving pieces when it comes to guys like him. Um, but I'm assuming there's a lot of GMs in the NFL that like what he did at NDSU. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing I mentioned with him translating, he definitely he's strong enough, and I think he's also smart enough. A lot of things I've noticed in his tape is that he'd be great at like sniffing out screens, mm-hmm. uh, really like the play recognition IQ kind of part of the game. So I think mentally wise, I think he'd be fine. I guess physically wise, I think he would be as well. I guess he just he just has to show it now and put it on, on field. But yeah, I really believe in him. Yeah, I think he'd be a good situational pass rusher uh, for this team in, in certain packages. But um, yeah, I really like him too. All right. I think that's our five edge rushers, correct? Yep, that's it. All right, so let's go to your cornerbacks because, um, I mean, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the secondary a little bit um, because I am, I am higher on the secondary than most people. Uh, you know that. You know that I'm huge on Conley. Um, I'm not necessarily huge on Lonnie. I'm huge on the potential of Lonnie. We talk, we've mm-hmm. talked about Lonnie a lot. Um, I talked to Lonnie last week. Um, he, you know, he is, he's a guy that when he came into the draft, you looked at who he was as an athlete 
and you automatically fell in love because he has what you want at that position. So he basically had the toolkit with him. It was just would he be willing or able to tap into that toolkit and, and be a star at the next level. I think, you know, you and I both agreed that footwork and his hips were really the biggest thing that he needed to work on, his transition. Um, and it looks like he's doing that with the footwork king. But I think one of the parts that people need to realize with these off-season workouts He's not going, you know, he's not going against top-tier talent. This is more of just a workout. It's going to be interesting to see how that translates for Lonnie next season when he is playing opposite of Conley on the outside. Yeah, that's actually a really great point you just brought up. I was thinking about that, too, and I've been seeing all the clips he's been posting. And, yeah, like you said, his hip fluidity, his footwork, it looks a lot better. But he's just going up against his trainer where he's not running right on him. He know Lonnie like knows what's coming. If you know what I mean, he knows that he's going to turn left and he's going to turn right and he's going to break on the ball. Whereas when you're playing in the league, obviously you don't know what's coming. You so there's that element of surprise. And when he does get surprised, is, is he going to revert back to his old what he's been doing all throughout college and all throughout playing football, or is he going to hone in on that muscle memory that he's been working on over the summer? So I really hope that's the case. And I think an interesting about interesting thing about Lonnie in the secondary is. Lonnie's a really good story of um, kind of like how we should be wary of our 40th overall pick because he was a second rounder last year and now we just have a second rounder and he's one of those guys who, like you said, he's an athlete and you kind of take him off of his potential. And so we've been talking about earlier with how we want at 40, we want um, somebody who's ready day one. Yep. But it's really hard to find that in the second round and just seeing that with, with Lonnie. I guess last year we had two second round picks, right? Sharping and Lonnie. And one was ready to one sharpening. He was pretty ready to start. He had a he had a really underrated season, I'd say. Uh, I would say he like, had a very good season. Yeah, right. He was really solid. He's probably our second best lineman behind Tunsil. And um, but then you see Lonnie, where he was like more of a potential, like a developmental guy. So it's kind of like those two routes you can take, where people like like Lonnie was just really just thrown into the fire, right? To start on the edge, to start on the outside, and that quarterback. Quarterback's one of the hardest positions to translate to from the college to the NFL. So, I don't know, I guess we just have to worry about stuff like that with more corners and more um, with our second-round pick this year. If they're actually going to be ready day one or if they're more developmental guys, that we got to give time. Yeah, and I think also just kind of with this year being a little bit different, I think the skill players in this draft are going to struggle early because they're going to miss – I mean, they're they're going to miss rookie minicamps. I mean, that's usually a week after the draft. We already know that that's likely to be canceled or pushed back. Uh, who knows what OTAs is going to look like? Training camp is it going to be shortened? Are they going to work off of the virtual you know thing that they're doing now and try to get the league started on time? Which, if I had to guess, I would probably assume that that's going to be the case, just because the NFL is not going to want to miss out on too much money. Um, so. When you're looking at these skill guys, wide receivers, running backs, cornerbacks, uh, even maybe safeties, uh, you, you have to bring into question just how they're going to get acclimated to the league and how they're going to get acclimated to this team. And um, that's kind of why I, I, I don't see this team going cornerback early because if they're looking for an impact guy, especially 40, I think 40 is a little different when you're, when you're picking in the second round because there's always first-round talent available at that spot. Um, so, you know, while picking 57th, 58th, 59th is just a little bit different. Um, but yeah, and then I think with Gary and Conley, I think, and I'll, I'll just say this, I think Gary and Conley is, 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 quarter, is cornerback one. And I think he's going to be cornerback one for this team for a long time. Um, 
I love what Conley was able to do midseason, come in. He's coming from a team who played him in strictly zone, where he struggles, uh, came back, and he, and he did that for a year and a half with, with Gruden in Oakland, comes in, he's a press man, asked to basically be on an island. While he did get beat, it was incredible to watch him make up for the times that he did get beat. Um, and then when I look at the Bills tape, I just rewatched that game. You could pretty much say that without Gary and Conley, the, the Texans would not have beat the Bills. I mean, he had two huge uh, pass deflections in the end zone um, that I don't know if we had another cornerback on this team that would have been in position to make those plays. I really like Gary and Conley's upside. Um, I think it's interesting that we have two Ohio State running or quarterback cornerbacks as our uh, as stables in, in the secondary, but I'm high on Conley. I'm extremely high. Yeah, I. You really couldn't have said it much better. Um, he definitely was just thrown into the fire after a big scheme change, and I like what he's done. I like what you mentioned about how, yeah, he did get beat. Um, I wouldn't say often, but he was – I saw a stat. He was, like, the fourth or fifth most targeted cornerback, something yep. like that, since he joined us. And, um, yeah, it's one thing to get beat because, like, cornerbacks, you're always going to – you're eventually going to get beat. There's no cornerback who has never – gotten beat by a wide receiver in their life, right? So it's what you can do to recover and to get back into the play, and he was great at playing the ball. He was really great at that. He had a lot of pass breakups, I think over 10 pass breakups Mm -hmm. when he got to us. And um, so, yeah, I definitely, I believe in him a lot. Cornerback one, I think his ceiling, I mean, definitely coming out of college, he was definitely cornerback one material as a first-round guy. He's a little bit overshadowed by Marshawn Lattimore, but he was definitely great. I think now that he's in a scheme that fits him, he could definitely rise to that occasion. I think if you're talking about him, him and Lonnie starting on the outside, assuming we don't take someone at 40, and then I really love Roby. Roby's my favorite corner right now. I think he's elite in the slot. I think he's arguably like a top-five slot cornerback. He, he was really good at that when he played that earlier in the season, and then when they transitioned him to outside, that's when he he's still good. Don't get me wrong; he's probably cornerback like two level, but he wasn't as good. And I think the biggest thing that stood out for me, and they talked about it when they first brought in Roby, is his speed. Yep. We don't have; we've never really had fast cornerbacks. You think about J. Joe; he's not fast, right? Nope. He's he's really great. I love him for everything he's done, but he was just yeah, wasn't going. fast. Yeah, exactly. So we needed those guys to keep up with, like, the T.Y. Hilton, the Tyreek Hills. And so, and Brody is that. He can follow them around. He can, he, I remember in the first Chiefs game last year, yep. he played really well against Tyreek Hill before he got injured, yep. before that entire secondary got injured. But he, he locked them down as well as anyone can. So, yeah, I'm really high on Roby. I'm definitely, I'm pretty high on, on Conley. I like him. I like that we have his fifth-year option you reminded me of. So we still got some flexibility with him. And then, yeah, Lonnie's potentials is, is really promising. So. Yeah, okay, so before we get into the cornerback class, I want to, uh, there's one cornerback that if he was available at 40, I would be a, 100% on board with taking. If you had to guess that who that corner was, who, who would it be? <sighs> Which corner? Um, so you're saying he'd likely not to be available at 40. So I'm guessing Christian Fulton, maybe? No, no, Jeff Gladney. No. Oh, my goodness. Jeff Gladney's my cornerback, too. He's my he's right after, favorite freaking right corner, it. dude, in this draft. The dude is a freaking bulldog. He backs down from nobody. I have not seen a guy his size play this position at the aggressive level that he plays with. I am truly in love with Gladney. Me, too. He, he was one of the first cornerbacks I watched, and... 
He's one of those guys that he's just an elite athlete. He's got some of the quickest hips. I think he's got more fluid hips and quicker feet than Okuda, personally. Um, and I was super high on him. I love his ball skills, specifically in zone coverage. He's great at reading the quarterback and baiting them into throws. I think his man coverage, that's the only thing that um, – I saw a thread on him. I forget who did it. I think it was Eric Crocker. But um, he did a thread on him saying – showing that his, like, technique in man coverage, like, it needs a little bit of work – and that he can get a bit bodied by the bigger wide receivers. His game against Colin Johnson, he kind of got a bit exposed. But, yeah, you're right. He definitely fought. He fought his ass off. He's, he's a quick, feisty dude. Um, if you like him and how he plays with fire, there's another cornerback that I'll mention later. But, um, yeah, I really like Gladney for sure. If he's there, I would love him. I think he's definitely going to go late first round, though. But, yeah, I would definitely love him at 40. I actually agree with you. I think we could see four corners go in the first round this year, and I don't think people realize that that's a, a possibility. Um, outside of it being a good uh, tackle class, which, you know, of course it is this year, right? Um, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, the cornerback class to me, I think there's five guys that uh, – maybe there's six guys. I think there's six guys that come in and are instantly able to – nope, seven – there's seven guys that could come in and really be day one impact guys. Um, so I'd love to hear your cornerback class and kind of what your thoughts are. Yeah, so I guess for the Texans in particular, because um, Ugeda and Henderson are gone. My right? favorite, my favorite guy is that. Would you say? I said Ugeda and Henderson are going to be gone. Oh yeah, um, Okuda, Henderson. They lost. They're like top ten. Okuda's like a top five lock. Yep. Henderson's like top ten, fifteen. I think we could see the league is getting really high on Terrell now. We talk about him later, but um, yeah, he might go first round. Gladney, um, who's the other guy? Christian Fulton, and then maybe even Jalen Johnson. I've heard some people are saying he might sneak in, but um, I don't. I guess I'll list off my how I've ranked them all just by like um, scouting them, and then I'll get into my like top five for the Perfect. Texans. So I've got Okuda, Gladney, and then I got Damon Arnett as my number three. We'll I'm talk right, about him later. I'm right that's there with like you. Pretty, yeah, and then another guy I love is Amik Robertson. I'll talk about him later, too. He's my number four. Yep, four. And then I've got C.J. Henderson, Bryce Hall I love, too, A.J. Terrell, Christian Fulton, and then Trevon Diggs I'm not as high as on. And I got Jalen Johnson a bit lower. Um, but, yeah, that's my, my ranking, how I've scouted them. How does yours look for maybe top five, top ten corners? So Akuda, uh, Gladney, Henderson, Terrell, Johnson, and um, Damon Arnett. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, I'm glad you like Arnett, too. I think he's pretty – some people are either really high on him or really low on him. Um, for me, he's one of the corners who I think – he'll definitely be there at 40, I think, and I think he would be worth taking at 40. I really think he's got true cornerback one, follow wide receiver around the field kind of potential. He was really overshadowed by Okuda, and I think that could honestly benefit us because he could fall to us. But his tape, going from 2018, it was really rough. He was flaggy. He was um, grabby, sorry. He would get flagged a lot. He was, it wasn't great. But then the strides that he made from 2018 to 2019, I loved it. And it speaks to his work ethic, and he looked like a completely different player. And his technique and man coverage is some of the best in the class. I think he's maybe the second best or third best. It's between him and, him and Henderson for me for the second best man cover corner. But he was great at playing press and trail tech. He would jam a wide receiver, and then he'd play from behind them in that trail tech. And he was great at recovering and getting back into a play if he missed his jam. And he has some of the best ball skills in the class. I think one thing 
with cornerbacks that's really interesting. Um, I'm sure you know Jonah Tulls from uh, the Draft Network. Mm-hmm. He um, he kind of introduced me, at least as the first person I heard it from, is the term of back to the ball skills. If there's ball skills where corners can see the ball and they can make a play on it, that's great. But there's one thing in, in man coverage when your back's turned to the quarterback and you have no idea when the ball's coming and you just got to read and react to it. And that's where a lot of cornerbacks struggle is with their back to the ball and not being able to play that ball. But I think Arnett is one of the few guys who's great at that. He's great at he can play the wide receiver's hands, he can play through them and be physical, or he can turn his head around and find the ball and make a play. And I think that's one of his biggest things is, um, is that ability. So I really love Arnett. Um, he can play inside, he can play outside, he's a decent tackler. Um, one thing, he ran a bit slow over 40. That's what might scare some teams off, but it didn't translate to the game film. I think he, he's plenty fast on the film, so I don't worry about that at all. Yeah, I think his game speed is right there. I'm not really too worried about his speed either. I think it's funny that you bring up his back to the ball, uh, you know, because we saw that when Kareem Jackson was drafted, that that was really his biggest mm-hmm. lack, and that's still probably to this day when he lines up as a corner, that's still his biggest issue. That's why he plays so good at safety is because everything's in front of him. Um yeah, I, I love Arnett. I think, you know, when I look at when I look at this cornerback class, this is what makes me think that there's a good chance that this team trades back into the second round, maybe, you know, 57, 58, whatever that would be, and grabs another third-round pick and is able to grab one of these corners in the third and still address the defensive tackle position in the second round. Um, because there's just a ton of guys, whether it's, you know, you're high on Christian Fulton, um, I'm, I, I like Fulton. I'm, I'm not as high, but like Arnett potentially could be there in the third early. Um, I think Cameron Dantzler could potentially be there in third. I'm not as high on him. Uh, Amik Robertson is another one. So, yeah, like when I look at this class, that's kind of what excites me about it. I just, unless it's a Gladney, unless it's, you know, it's really only Gladney that I feel 100% comfortable with taking at 40. Outside of that, I'd rather us go with defensive tackle. But, yeah, Arnett is a solid player. You know, a lot of it does have to do with the fact that, you know, Okuda was opposite of him. And, you know, Okuda, I, I like Okuda, but if I honestly had to pick uh, a QB one, I, I would probably, I would either go Gladney or, or Henderson over Okuda, but that's just me. Um, I know that's like somewhat draft blasphemy, but that's the fun part about us being able to do this. So, all right, let's move on to your next target. Yeah, um, next guy. I really like who I think he'll be there at 40, and he'll be the only other cornerback that'll be okay with taking at 40. Um, is Jalen Johnson, and I've gone back and forth with him. Uh, when I first watched him, I really didn't like his film because I saw him in a lot of off coverage, and every analyst I heard always talked about how great he is in press man. And I guess maybe it's the games I saw, but he he didn't play a lot of press man, and when he did. He wasn't that good. He wouldn't jam receivers at the line of scrimmage, and his back-to-the-ball skills weren't very good at all. But I've grown on him a lot. I found some more film on him, and one of the articles I read about him, it really went into depth about how great of a film study that he is. He really was able to break down so many of his plays and what he was thinking, and I think that's a really valuable skill for cornerbacks to have is to be able to kind of infer what the offense is going to do before they do it based off of formation, based off of maybe audibles, how the wide receiver's lining up, and tendencies and stuff like that. And that got him a lot of like, – made him be able to make a lot of plays on the ball, get a lot of interceptions and stuff. And so I think that's definitely one skill that you can really bank on translating to the NFL is your work ethic and your film study. And going to his game, he's, he's athletic. He's got decent size. He's, he's not a big guy, but he's got good enough size. He's got pretty quick hips. He's, I like him a lot. 
Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't mind him at 40. He wouldn't be my first choice, but if he's there, if he falls there, I think it would be a fine pick. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I like Jalen Johnson. I think the biggest thing that I like about him is his quick feet and his fluid change of direction. Um, that, to me, is probably one of his biggest pieces. I also think just, like, hearing some of what his coaches had to say about him, um, you know, his head coach said that he basically owns the appetite for work and improvement, which, to me, is what you look for in a guy that's going to critique his own work and know where he needs to go to develop. It's why I'm so big on Lonnie Johnson. It's just he, he – it's almost as if – prior to the offseason, he knew exactly what he needed to work on to do it. And I think that's a skill that most people, just in life in general, right? Like if you don't, if, if you are able to identify the areas that you need to improve on and then you put forth the effort to do it, that says a lot about your character. And I think specifically in the, with the cornerback position, it's it's one of, it's the hardest defensive position to play in my opinion. And um, when you're able to go after the areas that you're looking to improve on and work on it, that says a lot. So, uh, yeah, I like Jalen Johnson a lot. I, I don't know if I'd be okay with 40, um, but at the same time, like, I, I mean, he could come in day one. I, I think it'd be pretty crazy what we could do package-wise with our cornerbacks. Uh, but then, you know, I wonder just kind of what everything else would look like on the defense. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I guess my next guy, moving on, one of my third-round targets, He's he's really great to me. He's Bryce Hall. I think he's getting really underrated because he didn't have the greatest 2019 season because he was injured. He dealt with uh, I think it was a high ankle sprain that he ended up having surgery for. So that's that's something to look out for. But his 2018 tape in particular was amazing. He would have been I think cornerback two or cornerback three for me last year. It was really great. I love what I saw from him. He's one of those guys who at Virginia he played a really zone heavy scheme and it showed off really great ball skills. But um, the little bit of impressed man that I saw from him, because that's, that's what we played most last year, and I'm assuming that's what Weaver's going to have us be playing this year. So to fit into our scheme, I really loved what I saw from the other press man. I thought that his technique was really great. He's got super long arms that are really helpful at jamming wide receivers at the line of scrimmage with all their timing. And he's got good enough hips to, to flip them and got pretty quick feet. I really loved his ability. He was really great at using the sideline as an extra defender. He would squeeze wide receivers down the sideline, not give them enough space. And he was great at turning his head and finding the ball and making a play on the ball, kind of bossing out receivers from being able being able to even make a play on the ball. So I think Hall, oh, one of the things that he's he's my best um, outside cornerback run defending run defender. There's another guy I like in the slot a little bit more, but he's the best on the outside for me. So I think that's also a big plus, being able to tackle on the edges like that. Um, So, yeah, he'd be a really great candidate for pick number 90 for me. I don't know if he'll be there. I think he's going to go somewhere in between 40 and 90. But if he's there at 90 and we've got an interior defensive line first, maybe, I would love that pick. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to that at 90. I mean, he has a rangy frame. Um, You know, I think his transition is somewhat of of a concern. Uh, he tends to get a little bit grabby, uh, but I think he has the potential to be a pretty good corner, especially when you're talking about taking somebody in the third. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess my next guy, oh, man, he's my absolute favorite player in this draft is oh. Anik Robertson. Okay. Yeah, he's he's a dog, man. Like everything you said about Gladney, he's a dog. He's 5'8", 187, but he does not play like it whatsoever. He's such a fun watch, man. He's... He's like a little pit bull. Um, my player comp for him, I don't, I hate player comps personally, but if I were to compare him to something, it wouldn't even be a football player. It's it's Patrick Beverly, the <laughs> former Houston Rocket, now a clipper. 
Yeah, it's Patrick Beverly, man. He's just that little, like, that dog that you that you hate to play against. You hate when he's on another team. But when you get that type of player on your own team, you absolutely love him. You know what I mean? He's that high effort. He's that dog that's going to, he's going to, like, dive on the loose ball for, for uh, dive on the floor for loose balls there. He's going to be that trash talker getting in your face on every play. I love him. And um, everything he brings off the field like that, like that passion, that fire, I want more of that on our team. And then getting to his work on the field, he's, like I said, he's undersized, he's 5'8", but they had him playing on the outside corner throughout college at Louisiana Tech, and he took on every challenge that, that came to him. Um, his Texas game against Colin Johnson, that was like, really impressive to me. Colin Johnson's 6'6", 2'20", something like that, and they got another guy, um, Malcolm Epps, I think that's his name, he's also 6'6", and Amik faced them off both, both of them all day long. He was jamming them at the line of scrimmage. I've seen him pushing them out of bounds. Like He was just bullying them when he's got an 8-inch height differential on them. And that's just ridiculous to see. And I just love that fight, that dog, that passion out of him. And so I think he'll be really good. I am worried about his size, but I think he'll be really great in the slot just because having a cornerback that size, as much as, as physical as he is, as feisty as he is, it's just unprecedented to, to see someone that small out on the edge. I think he could do it against the quicker guys, but I think he definitely has a really good home in the slot. And so earlier in the season, before we had taken, before we had signed, sorry, Roby, um, I thought slot corner was going to be a really big need for us. And so Meek was like my number one guy on our list for that. But now that we have Roby, it kind of is killing my dream about Amik Robertson because I do think he's limited to the slot. But in the end, like I think we should still take him if he's there. He's a guy I would want at 111 with their fourth-round pick. If he's still there, I'd be all for taking him because we can just move. We can we can still play him. You know, it's never a bad problem to have too many cornerbacks. I think that's one of the positions you have to be deepest at. And so if, say, Conley or Lonnie gets injured or maybe they don't play as well, we can move Roby back outside and we can put Amik right in the slot and there'd be like, not much of a drop out there. I think he, he he's a great player for us. Uh, yeah, I think, when, I think when you're talking about the fourth round, I think this is the kind of guy that you do take a chance on. Um, my, my biggest issue with him is when he plays off. Um, but if he's playing slot then in the NFL, I wouldn't be too concerned. Um, he could stick with the, with the shifty guys. Um, you know, not the surest tackler for your slot position, which would be somewhat concerning, um, but he's not, like, a liability. Um, but I, definitely, like, when you look at it, like, we all know he's not going to grow. So um, yeah. <laughs> so we're stuck with the 5'8", but when you when you look at that bulldog mentality, I, I agree with you about Amik. I think he, he has that. And when you're talking about the fourth round, like, that's, that's really when you're going to start to look at guys like this. Um, so I would agree. Yeah, I think um, the tackling was interesting. A lot of people compare him to the Honey Badger. Uh, I really don't. I, I get it. You want to have that feisty, like, smaller, undersized DB to make that comparison, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't think he can do that much, like, safety stuff. No. Um, in terms of tackling, he's really aggressive. I'll give him that. He's really aggressive. He might not be the most sound, but he's really aggressive. He'll, he'll kind of – he's one of those guys who kind of lunges low and tries to attack your feet like that. So I get what you're saying. He's not – Amazing, but I definitely like him. He's my favorite slot cornerback, like in terms of tackling, at least. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, and I think when it comes to tackling, I think those are things that you can clean up, right? It's all about angle. Yeah. It's all about technique. Who knows what he's getting there at Louisiana Tech? Um, but I think that that's something you could sure up. Um, I don't know about the Honey Badger. Like I, I loved Honey Badger in Arizona. 
Um, I wasn't a big fan of Honey Badger here. Uh, whiffed on tackles mm-hmm. quite a bit. Seemed to lack like the lateral explosion that you would look for from from your safety slash box safety. Um, I, I, I just wasn't a fan of Tyron here. But uh, if we're talking about early Tyron in Arizona where he's like the Swiss Army knife, I could see Amik playing that role. Uh, I just don't know if that aggressive – like, I don't know if he'll be able to play as aggressive and as sure, if that makes sense, as Tyron. Mm, I get what you mean. Yeah, I definitely, I'm with you on, I, I love everything Tyron brought off the field as, like, a leader and stuff, but his time here, his actual play on the field, it, it didn't live up to the contract that he got with Kansas City. Now, right. like, he definitely made the most of it in Kansas City. He lived up to that one. But if you're looking at it with his production for us, he wouldn't be worth what he made. And that's partly because we kind of misused him. Yep. He played a little bit more deep safety for us. We were, we're asking him to guard those, like, bigger tight ends that he clearly is just not good at. Whereas now with the Chiefs, he can just kind of roam around the defense, play the nickel, play that box, roll blitz. Like, we barely even blitzed him when we played him. And that was just crazy to me. But anyways, that's that's not a problem with that. So, um, yeah, I love Amik Robertson. My, my next guy, my fifth corner for us, I think you're right. I think we're going to go corner a bit later. And so some of the – I'm going to give it you two here. Some of my later option guys, that could be like sixth or seventh round guys. Um, I really love Parnell Motley from Oklahoma. I think he's not getting really any recognition whatsoever. But every time I would watch, I would watch Kenneth Murray. Murray I would watch um, Neville Gallimore. I would always see the cornerback number 11. And he would always be making plays, and he would always be breaking up the ball, and no one could get past him. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? And so I look him up, and, and he's – and I find him, and he's actually eligible this year. And I'm like, oh, wow, how is he not getting any recognition? And I think he's really great. I think he's really great in man and zone. He's got quick hips. He's got long arms and he plays on the ball. So I really love him. Um, I've only really been seeing him locked in the seventh round right now. I think that would be a steal for, uh, for Motley. Uh, I'm not too, like, uh, aware of him or what he brings. Um it's actually the first mm-hmm. time I've seen his name, so I'll be honest. I honestly don't know. Um, I haven't done any scouting on, on Motley at all. Yeah, okay. I appreciate your uh, your honesty there. Um, uh, another one of my late-round guys, you, I think you know him, is LaBert Hill from Michigan. Yep. Yep, he's one of my guys. Um, I really like his skills. He's really fluid, a really good man cover corner. I think one of the main things about him that I love is he's patient at the line of scrimmage. You're going to see a bunch of wide receivers there do all these crazy releases with head fakes and, and everything. Kind of reminds me of, like, Braxton Miller and how crazy he was with his releases and kind of extra with it. Um, but Robert Hill is one of those guys who he's going to sit on the road. He's going to be patient with your release and make you actually make a move. And I really like his ball skills. He's great at playing the ball, great at turning his head around, finding the ball. The only thing with him is that he's a bit smaller. I think he's 5'10", something like that. He has small arms as well. Um, yeah, 5'10", 190, and so I'm worried that he's just going to be a nickel guy because I have seen him get a bit bodied by the bigger guys, but when you're out late in the, in the draft, I think he brings a good amount of upside that he'll be a good pick. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think when you're looking at the seventh round, that's true potential. Like, that's where you're looking. Um, yeah. And, you know, Hill was productive in college through your starter. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it. He's not too small. Um, I'd probably prefer for him to play on the inside as well, but um, definitely a guy that I think in the seventh round you could grab and, and potentially develop. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, so let's get to yeah, some corners. Uh, yeah, there is. This is a really good cl- corner class in my opinion. Um, 
So let's get to safety and let's talk about. I guess let's talk about your your top two because I, I know we only have a couple more minutes before you got to get going. Um, let's talk about your top two safeties that you think would potentially be there at forty. Now, obviously, there's Antoine Winfield, Xavier McKinney, Grant Delpert. Um, if you had to guess, you know, on the safeties that would potentially be there when we pick at forty, who do you think it would be, and who would be worth taking at that spot? Okay, so first off, who I think will be there, I think I think the first the two safeties that are going in the first round are going to be Grant Delpit and Xavier McKinney. I think those guys are kind of in a tier above the rest. Um, so I think who's going to be there is your Antoine Winfields, your Ashton Davises, um, and then those two smaller school guys, the Kyle Duggar and um, what's his name, Jeremy Chen. So I think those are going to be the guys that are there for us. And I'm not a big Winfield guy. I think his size really worries him for me. I think he's more of a nickel guy, and he can play, like, split safety looks. The thing with us is we finally transitioned to, like, a cover one, cover three heavy defense, right? And so we need that. Either you got a back safety, and Justin Lee kind of played that role more throughout the, throughout the year, and then you got your free safety, your single high in Gibson. And Gibson did a decent job with it. I think he's one of those guys who – He'll be in good enough position where quarterbacks aren't going to be constantly testing us deep, but he's not like a playmaker, rangy, kind of like Earl Thomas type. And that's what I really want if we're going to take a safety. I want someone who can play that single high, and I don't think Winfield is that guy. I think he does better in two high or in quarters stuff. And so he's not one of my – I don't even have him in my top five here for um, guys I'd want. Um, what do you what do you thoughts on Winfield? Um, I think, you know – uh, if we're, I, I wouldn't take him at 40. I don't think he's that impactful of a safety to be able to do it. I think a lot of people are tied to his name. Um, I think, you know, as a third-round guy, he could come in and potentially play in, in certain packages, um, but I wouldn't feel comfortable taking him at 40. Now, if he's available at 90, maybe then you start to have a conversation about it, but I think there's really only maybe two safeties worth taking at 40, and I, I don't think he's one of them. Yeah, so definitely agree there. I think for me, really the dream scenario is Grant Delpit, and I think he's been a first-round talent all of his life, all of his football career at least. Um, but now he's kind of being, um, what's the word, unfairly criticized by the media, and I don't know how much that translates to actual NFL scouts and GMs, but he's been falling in mock drafts. He's been sometimes getting there to that early second round where we were at with 40, and I think he really would be the dream. For us, I think he can step in and play that single high role amazingly. I think he's perfect at that. People criticize his tackling, but when you're a single high, like I want you for your ball skills and your range. Right. I don't care too much for where you're tackling, right? And I think he's one of those generational guys where these great free safeties, these great single high safeties, they don't come around very often. They don't come around every year. Sometimes they don't even come around every five years. I mean, if you look in the league, you've got your Earl Thomas. I think Justin Simmons is another really great one. Maybe Anthony Harris from Minnesota. But then if you look at the, the recent really kind of great safeties that have been coming out, your Jamal Adams, your Derwin James, your Minka Fitzpatrick, they're kind of more, at least the first two are box guys. I think Derwin James is a phenomenal safety. He can do a little bit of everything. But they're more like versatile guys who play in the box, who tackle really well. Um, Fitzpatrick's more of like a nickel guy. You don't really have that true single high free safety. And I think that's what Delpit is. And his, just, his range, his instincts, his playmaking ability is, is generational, and that doesn't come around every year. So if he's at 40, he's my, he's my top pick. I'd like him over any interior defensive lineman. I'd like him over Gallimore, over Bond, anyone. If he falls there, I think you have to run that card in. I think he's one of the only safeties I'd take at 40. 
I agree with you 100%. I really have nothing more to add about Del Pitt. I, I love his game. I agree with you on the single high safety aspect. Um, I think he'd be a game changer for this defense. I think it would really kind of sure up the, uh, the, the the secondary in general as when you have him read uh, you know, the potential of Lonnie, right, and Conley and Roby, I think you, you feel really good about where that secondary is going. Plus, you know, Justin Reed's entering his third year. Uh, he's going to need a contract after next year. Um, and you pair him and Delpit together for the next, you know, five to seven years, and you have an amazing, an amazing secondary in the back end. So I, I'd feel really good about that. My other guy who I, I've seen kind of everywhere um, and I'm extremely high on, and this is true potential, uh, is Jeremy Chen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you want to talk about him a little bit? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I just think he's tall, uh, you know, tongue, tall, long limb frame. Um, he's got a rip physique, very rangy, long striding, uh, very physical. He flows well. Um, I mean, he was a four-year starter at Southern Illinois. Um, I think he can kind of fit in a lot of different packages. I don't know if he's going to be able to play that single high safety that you're looking for. Um, but I just think that what he could bring to this defense would just be a, a very good matchup or a very good pairing with Justin. Yeah, so with, with Chin, um, I just had the senior bowl. It was him and it was Kyle Duggar that were kind of um, blowing up throughout the draft process. And I always like Chin a lot more than Duggar. I'm with you on that. He definitely has super high potential. Um, I liked him better in coverage than I did with Duggar and some of the other guys. And then he's also a really physical tackler, like you said. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I am looking for that single high guy, so I just don't know. So I think he is a bit more of a box safety, yep. and I think Reed, Reed definitely showed that he can do single high stuff, but I think he's kind of falls in that same range with Gibson, like I explained about him, where he's good, he's not going to kill you there, but he's also just not like a playmaker, someone who's going to take the ball away. And I think with our defense, that single high safety role in the in this, like, cover three heavy, cover one heavy, it's the most important position to me. It's more important than your pass rushers, your cornerbacks. It really it saves everyone's like, mistakes, saves everyone's asses. Um, so, I don't know. I'm just really high on getting that position, and I think, um, yeah, I just don't know about Chin's potential there, but I definitely love him as a prospect. Okay. All right, so uh, before we get you out of here, let's talk about two more positions, and let's make it somewhat quick. Uh, are there any running backs that are worth taking at 40 if they are there? Running back, man, this this is I love this running back class. There's a lot of guys that I like. I'm really kind of upset that we've already invested so much draft capital into not even the draft capital, just capital in general into running backs. We got sent a third rounder for Duke Johnson, and then the whole DeAndre Hopkins trade for David Johnson. So that's just already investing a lot of capital into the running back position, where I think that's a position that you can get it for kind of cheap value later. So that's what's really scaring me about getting a running back at 40. However. The two that I would be willing to take that I would understand and still be, like, happy about, um, my number one running back is Clyde edwards Elair from yep. LSU. I absolutely love him. Um, he may be a smaller back, but he runs super tough. I love everything he brings in the run game. He's got great vision, great jump cuts. He's scheme diverse. He can do gap, zone, gap or zone. Um, and he's the best receiving back in the class for me. He's not a good blocker, but that's fine. But he's just a crazy good receiving back. And, the only thing with him is that he's, his skills are kind of, um, they kind of match with David Johnson and, and Duke Johnson the, the receiving, but he's a superior runner for those, so I really like him a lot. Um, and then the other running back I would take is Jonathan Taylor. He's, I love him. I absolutely love everything that he brings. He's also like kind of a power back, but then he's also got, I think he's the best speed in the class. I think he's great, and um, he's a really good fit for us because 
he meshed with it well. He brings what David Johnson and Duke Johnson don't bring, that kind of first and second down back that you just that uh, Bill Brown's just going to hammer up the A gap a bunch of times, and, and he'll be great at that. He's got really underrated vision and footwork, working through gaps, and he's got that breakaway speed that will kind of take our run game to the next level. Okay, so let's talk about uh, a couple guys that potentially could be their fifth, sixth, seventh that you think would be ideal. I'll give you my one um, in the fifth, sixth, or seventh that I'd feel comfortable with, and that would be the TCU running back, Suu Olanula. Dude reminds me of Derrick Henry. Um in a very, very convincing way. I, I, I love what he's doing, what he did in college. Um, obviously, talking to Rashad a little bit, who's worked with him since, I think, since he was a sophomore in high school, the footwork king. Um, I think that would be like a sixth, seventh round flyer that I think you would get really good production out of. Yeah, I definitely like him. I, I'm not going to even try and pronounce his name and butcher that, but I like him a lot. I see the, the Derrick Henry comp, he's definitely a bigger back, he kind of runs like high pad level like that and it's tough to bring him down, he's got a nasty stiff arm, so I definitely like him in that 5th, 6th, 7th round um, obviously the guy who reminds me like that of Derrick Henry the most is AJ Dillon, I think I really love him if he's there in the 5th round I don't think he'll make it there, but if he's there I love him um, I'm going to have an article out about him later and how he really reminds me of Derrick Henry, so I'm not going to get too in-depth about him. But my guy, who's in every single one of my mock drafts, I always take him in the seventh round, is DJ Dallas. Okay. I absolutely love Dallas. He's a tough runner. He really reminds me of Carlos Hyde with how tough he runs. Um, he's got good vision. He's still he's like a power back, kind of a bruiser back, but he's got good speed. He's got good enough. He's really good at making the first man miss. That's a big thing I like with my running backs. Is can you make the first man miss? Can you get that extra yardage? He's good at that. He's good. He has good contact balance, where he's not going to get taken down by arm tackles. And in my opinion, he's the best um, pass blocking running back in the class. And I know Bill O'Brien. He puts a lot of stock into that a with lot. his running backs, and that's why he doesn't really like um, rookie running backs because usually they're pretty bad pass blockers. But I think Dallas is, is really good at that, so he can bring great value there, and he's good in the receiving game as well. So yeah, he's he's definitely my running back sleeper. And then if uh, the, if the Texans took Zach Moss in the third round, would you be upset? <sighs> third round, something 90, yeah. I'd be pretty upset with that. <laughs> I would be okay with him. I love Moss. He was one of the very first guys I've scouted. But at 90, I just think he's not that good that warrants that has a pick for running back at maybe 111 or even later. Maybe if we trade down from 111 in between our fourth and fifth rounds, then I would take him. I really love his power. His contact balance is great. I think his vision needs a little bit of work and his processing. When he played, like he's going to need, he's one of those guys who's going to need a, a good O-line. He's not going to be someone who can get a lot of extra yardage out of the blocking. Like if the blocking's bad, he's going he's gonna to get tackled. And obviously that's the thing with a lot of running backs, but that's what kind of separates him from, from a guy like DJ Dallas for me. I'd rather take that value later, and I think he can produce, if not the same, if not better, probably around the same level. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk about wide receivers. Um, you know, it was pretty much a lock that at 40, the Texans were going to take a wide receiver. I'm actually happy with the Brandon Cooks trade for the reason of I was starting to write an article about how the Texans found themselves in a very similar position as they were in uh, last year, entering the first round of the NFL draft in 2019, where every team knew that the Texans needed to take a tackle. And we saw what happened with Andre Dillard being taken the pick before us and the Eagles trading up. 
I found that the Texans, I thought that the Texans would be in a very similar situation at the 40th pick where teams kind of knew that the Texans were going to have to take a guy that could potentially replace DeAndre Hopkins. Now we've seen that there's somewhat of a plan in place. Whether we think the plan will work, we can talk about that another time. But I think with Cooks, uh, you got a guy that's going to be able to come in and instantly make an impact. Uh, I don't know if a wide receiver is going to be able to do that unless you're grabbing, you know, a Jerry Judy, a Henry Ruggs, or a CeeDee Lamb. Um, the rest of the guys are somewhat concerning as far as immediate impact guys. So I think wide receivers off the table at 40. If you're looking at guys, at, you know, maybe third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, um, there's a couple guys that could potentially come in and make a difference. If you were looking at guys in the latter rounds, who would you see as an ideal fit for this team? Yeah, first off, just kind of going off what you said with the Brandon Cooks trade really quickly. I'm, I'm with you. I was a fan of it. Would I like to have not given up that second-round pick? Of course. Would it have been better for a third or fourth-round pick? Of course. But that was the asking price. That's what it took to get him, and I think he's going to bring great value to the team. I think going into the offseason, I was – I wanted the Texans to to kind of run their offseason like Will Fuller wasn't even on the team because as great as he is, we all know his injury concerns. And so with this move of Brandon Cooks, yeah, his his skills is right there with Fuller as a deep threat, but it's it's exactly what I wanted to get that kind of insurance policy for when Fuller does inevitably go down. And hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he can stay healthy, but we just haven't seen that yet. So yeah, well, Anyways, I, think, I love the Brandon. Yeah, I think I love the Brandon Cooks trade. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I keep I keep interrupting you. It's it's hard when we can't see each other. Um, I think with uh, I think with Brandon Cooks, I think you're exactly right. It's more of an insurance policy. I mean, how many times in the last two years have we seen this offense get completely stagnant when Will Fuller goes down? Uh, now, with the addition of Brandon Cooks, that's not going to be an issue. You know, you still have Kenny on opposite of Brandon. You'll have Cobb in the middle. Um, so you still are able to throw that deep ball. I think another part of the, the trade, and I think a lot of people miss, miss this part of Will Fuller's game, is that Will Fuller is a very, very good route runner. So the, mm-hmm. what makes him so dangerous is the fact that he has that four three six speed, and he also is able to run his routes at a very high level. Brandon Cooks is very similar. He's a very good route runner as well. And when you add that to four three eight speed, then you're talking about you know a very dynamic wide receiver. And if those two are on the field together. You know, everybody thinks, oh, you know, NASCAR offense, we're just going to play Madden, and that's really not going to be it. These two are so good at route running that it's really going to be unlimited amount of opportunities on what this team can look like on offense. And if now Will Fuller goes down, then the team still stays in stride and is able to compete downfield, which is a big piece of why Brandon Cooks was added. Yeah, I'm definitely right there with you. It's a great point you made. Um, a lot of people have been saying, like, oh, we have all these speedsters, but we don't have that dependable guy. Who's going to get us those first downs when we're third down and Deshaun needs someone to throw the ball to? And the thing about that is Deshaun is going to find whoever the hell is open, you know? And when you have these great receivers who all that matters is if you can get separation. However you get that, if you're a great route runner, if you're a speed guy, if you're a physical guy like Nuke was, all that matters is that you get open. I don't really care how you do it, just get your ass open, right? Yep. And so with Coach, like you said, he's a great route runner. He's pretty underrated with that. He's not someone who we're only going to run him on go routes. He can be that dependable guy for us. He's just got to get open, and I believe in his ability to do that. Yeah, and I also think, uh, you know, I think if you took away the salary of Randall Cobb, uh, I think people would actually be extremely excited to actually have a dependable slot receiver for the first time. Um, Mm -hmm. But because of the price tag, I think people are just kind of already – 
kind of doubting what he could bring. You know, Randall Cobb is a very dependable slot wide receiver. I think he could, you know, this this offense moves when when we have a dependable slot, and uh, it's really a key part to this offense. I mean, we see it in New England, um, and it, it, it's really needed for this offense to go. And now that he finally has one, um, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, Deshaun, he definitely thrives over the middle of the field, yep. kind of attacking those linebackers, that gap between the linebackers and the safeties. And that's why it's part of the reason why they moved Nuke to the slot last year. He stopped playing on the outside a lot. He put, they put him in the slot. They started running on a lot of slants and crossing routes. And part of that was because Deshaun was good in that area of the field. And part of that was to kind of try and limit the sacks and try to make it a quick pass off. And so, yeah, I think it's completely really Cobb, I like what he brings. No one likes the price tag, but we got to deal with that now. He's on the team. Let's just cheer for him now. And I like what he brings. I think he can be dependent. I think the only thing that worries about worries me about him is last year he had some drops. Yep. But that wasn't really a thing in over his career. So I don't know. That entire Dallas Cowboys offense struggled to drop. So maybe his back, maybe his wide receiver coach. Who knows? I'm I'm not going to put blame on anyone, but hopefully he cleans that up. Um, but yeah, I really love him. Yep. All right. So let's uh, before we get you out of here, we got a couple of minutes. Uh, let's talk yep. about some some later round wide receivers that uh, later round wide receivers that could potentially uh, be a, a good value for the Texans. Yeah. So um, for me, so I just had enough with the coach trade. I guess there was no wide receivers at forty, anyways, that could give us Brandon Cook's deep speed and stuff like that. And so I think that's like the wide receiver route that I wanted to go, anyways. And so at forty, like you're looking at like maybe like the Javon Ragers, the KJ Hamlers, those are the guys with that speed. So, um, uh, and like you said, those rookies aren't really going to be able to step in on day one anyway. So I think that was a good part of the trade is that we couldn't really get anyone better than Brandon Cooks anyways. But anyways, now, enough about that. Um, talking about the later round receivers, my guy who we've just recently talked about that you love too is Van Jefferson. And I think he's, if not the best, he's probably the second best route runner in the entire class. Yep. I would love him at 90. I was all for it before the trade. I didn't even want to wide receiver at 40. I'm going to go defense first with the first two picks and then pick him up at 90. And I absolutely love Van Jefferson. He's one of my guys. He's, one, he's basically everyone's guy at this point. Um, but he's he's a damn artist with his routes. The way he sells his routes, sells his cornerbacks. For definitely going one way and then flip back the other way, it's just beautiful. And he's always open. So I would really love him. He's one of the only guys I really love in that third round as wide receiver. Um, what is else with him? Yeah, I mean, I love Van Jefferson. I think he would be an ideal fit. I'd be fine with as long as we go defense in the second round um, and are able to add, whether it be interior or wherever we add on the defensive side that we've talked about for the last hour and 30 minutes, uh, I'd be fine with Van Jefferson at uh, at 90. I, I like him. I think he's great. His route running is so underrated. I, I honestly don't think people realize how crisp of routes he runs. He can run the entire route tree seamlessly. Um, I think he'd be a solid, solid pick at, at number 90. Yeah, definitely. All right, some of my other guys later. Um, I'll give you some fifth-round guys I really like. Um, I think we should rather we target a route runner like Van Jefferson or a big body kind of jump ball receiver. And one of my favorite guys for that late in the draft, if we can find him there in the fifth, I'd take him as Colin Johnson. Yep. I love him. I think he's basically like T. Higgins and, and Denzel Mims like that with that big – frame, that great length, and you can just throw it up to him, and he's going to bring down the ball, and you can trust him in that, and he's he's one of those little guys, but he's he's pretty decent in his routes, he's not as bad, he's not as like slow and stiff as I thought he would, he's, he shows some nuance there, he's not Van Jefferson level, obviously, he's not even on like Denzel Mims level, but 
at least he's not like a statue in that sense. So he has some diversity there. Yes, no, I would agree. I think Colin Johnson uh, in the latter in the later rounds would be ideal. Um, I think another guy who I look at that I would like to see, and it wouldn't be specifically for wide receiver, but it would be for the return game, and that would probably be Quez Watkins. Um, mm-hmm. I just, you know, that's really, like, I consider that more of a luxury pick. I, I don't see Quez being able to put it together on the field to be a wide receiver, um, but I would love to bring in somebody that could challenge DeAndre Carter on the returns. Yeah, I definitely agree with that there. I'm not happy with Carter. Maybe sounds like a one-year deal, that's fine. Whatever, give him one more chance maybe. But definitely just bring in some competition to really push him because he's had some crucial drops and fumbles there that I don't really want to deal with anymore. And I'm with you on Quez. He's like a, four, a high 4-2, low 4-3 guy. He's got that speed. But, yeah, he I don't know if he can put it all together because he's not a good route runner whatsoever. But, yeah, he's definitely dangerous in the return game. Um, one of my other guys that I really love is Quintus Cephas from Wisconsin. He's not a big name. He's not getting a lot of... Um, reputation for anything really, but he's a really good route runner as well. He's someone who's going to be really dependable for you in getting open. I like his routes. Um, yeah, so that's just a quick name out there. Yeah, no. Um, I, I haven't studied too much tape of Cephas, so uh, me uh, providing any additional commentary wouldn't be fair to him as a scout or as a prospect, but um, I mean, at the end of the day, like when you're looking at the four, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you're, you're looking, I mean, you're, it's a gamble no matter what. Um, so I would agree. Mm-hmm. All right, Jordan, um, thank you so much for taking time. I mean, you gave me 90 minutes. Um, I Very valuable stuff. I know the listeners are going to be huge fans. We're probably going to have to collaborate later on uh, just to start to talk about the season and kind of recap uh, the Texans draft and also just kind of what they're putting together in the off season. But um, I want to say thank you. Why don't you tell uh, the listeners where they can find you, uh, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You've got a great podcast going on here. It's a great opportunity for myself to help grow myself and, and really uh, talk to the fans and followers and stuff like that. So thank you. Really, I really appreciate you reaching out to me about that. Um, and then, yeah, I would love to come back to recap draft, talk about the start of the season. That would definitely interest me for sure. Um, you guys can find me at Twitter at Texans underscore thoughts. I do. I'll tweet during game days a lot. You probably want to, might even want to mute me then. <laughs> get a little bit overboard. But uh, yeah, I get a little passionate on game days. Um, draft season, I'll be doing a lot of draft breakdowns. This year I've done one every single day the past like month. I've got like 35, 36 going out. I've still got more to come every single day leading up to the draft. So I'll be doing those. And yeah, so uh, yeah, thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Jordan, thank you for coming on. You were a very insightful young guy, bright future. Um, I'm I'm really excited to continue to watch your career go. And uh, good luck on your final uh, next week, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right, guys, welcome into another edition of Texans Unfiltered. Um, I am joined by our favorite draft analyst. Is that the proper term, Dane? Is that should we do draft analyst, draft specialist? What do you, what do you prefer? <laughs> no, I think that draft analyst makes sense. Yeah, cuz I don't I don't really consider myself um, you know, uh, uh, a journalist or reporter or anything like that. I mean, I I really yeah, I think analyze the game. That's probably the best way to to sum up what I do. Okay. Awesome. So we're we're joined by my personal favorite draft analyst, Dane Brugler, who if you guys aren't if you guys do not subscribe to The Athletic, you are missing out on just amazing content year-round for sports. But draft-wise, if you're looking for anything in between January and 
now when the draft happens. Uh, you need to. I guess we have, there's a new name. Is it called the Beast now? Is that is that like moving forward? Is that going to be? Is that what it's called? Well, it's funny. The it kind of it started on its own. One of the longtime readers, I don't remember who, started calling it that, and it it just started to catch on, and so more and more people started calling it that. And uh, you know, I I think that I I I take that as a compliment. So every year I try to live up to that moniker, and I don't want to uh, you know fall short of that. So no, it's it's pretty cool that it, it's kind of adopted that name, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna run with it. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, I like it. I think it's. Uh, I think it's unique. Um, so, all right. So the Texans, obviously, not in the uh, probably the best of places as far as approaching this draft. No first round pick. Uh, started with two. Kind of. You know, Bill O'Brien's done a really good job to keep Texans podcast uh, busy during this month of uh, moves that he's done, whether they're greater or not. That's. We, luckily, I get to have an episode where we don't have to talk about that when we talk to you, so that's fantastic. Um, okay. So what I wanted to do was just kind of talk about some of the needs that I see with this team, um, and then I kind of want to talk a little bit about the draft class from last year because when we talked, I talked. A lot, I was very high on Lonnie Johnson. Um, you weren't as high, but you 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 had mm-hmm. Lonnie as as one of your guys. You didn't think he was like a top ten corner, but you know third round guy. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about him. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of go from there. Does that work for you? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so I list the needs as, as the following in, all, in order. The defensive tackle, a three-down guy, uh, with the mm-hmm. loss of DJ Reader. Um, we brought in Timmy Jernigan, who you really can't count on, and is, I mean, he's a good run stopper, but not really going to push the pocket too much. Um, so I would say defensive tackle is probably the biggest need for me. Uh, edge guys, specifically defensive ends. I'm pretty comfortable with our outside linebackers, and this is not a strong class for defensive ends. Um, there's some guys that, that could make some noise in the later rounds that people aren't talking about, but I've also heard as of today that it seems, at least Ian Rappaport says the GMs, one GM said that nobody knows what's going to happen, that all the mock drafts are off this year, so who knows. But um, And then... Defensive end, outside linebacker or edge guys, probably safety, then cornerback, then running back, and then I'd like to go wide receiver. So Texans pick number 40 in the second round. Uh, there's some re- I, I like the defensive tackle class. Can you talk a little bit about the defensive tackle class this year and kind of your thoughts outside of Kinlaw and um, the, uh, God, his name, I always, forget, I always forget it from Auburn. Derek Brown. Yes. Right, and – those are the top two guys. Derek Brown is the top guy. You know, yep. Almost 6'5", 325 pounds, um, explosive, upper body, lower body. And what I love most about Derek Brown is just the effort. It's nonstop into the fourth quarter, really what separates him. Um, you know, Javon Kinlaw, the medicals might be a question mark, but he's likely going to go in the top 20 pick somewhere. And then we have a few guys that could sneak into that first round, could sneak uh, to closer to the, where the Texans are picking in that early second, and that's Marlon Davidson from Auburn, Ross Blacklock from TCU. Those are the two guys I'm kind of looking at. Davidson, you know, some teams view him as that jumbo defensive end. Some teams view him as more of that three technique who can be uh, disruptive from the interior. And I think with both, both these guys, Blacklock and Davidson, you're getting – uh, players that the effort is pretty relentless, guys that uh, you know go, get after it in every single play. They have three-down ability. 
Davidson, a little overlooked by Brown, but uh, this year with double-digit tackles for loss and what he did, uh, you know, really making some splash plays, put himself in that top 50 discussion. Blacklock missed all of 2018 with an injury, stormed back this year. Um, you couldn't watch TCU without noticing, uh, you know, Blacklock on the field. You, you didn't have to know his number to know which one was Blacklock with the way he would make plays. He's more of your three technique. He's quick. Uh, he's got violent hands, 6'3", 290. Uh, there's a lot of traits that I think Blacklock shows that projects well to the next level. Yeah, I, I like I like both of those guys. I, I like Davidson just a little bit more because of his flexibility, uh, being able to play in those jumbo sets and play on the outside. He's he's kind of built like your t- prototypical 1980s 3-4 defensive end, um, mm-hmm. which I think would be ideal. You could kind of move him around. Blacklock, I think the only concern is just the injury from 2018, considering what it was. Um, but when you talk about violent hands, like, I don't I, – he's – uh, he, I think he would be an incredible pick for the Texans. One, one of the guys that I like that you don't, you're not as high on is Navelle Gallimore. Can you talk a little bit about him out of Oklahoma? Yeah, and with Gallimore, I like the individual traits. Uh, he is an explosive dude. I mean, he moves like uh, you know most uh, you know, 220 pounders, not 300 pounders. So it's really impressive to see him move. Um, I just I wish it resulted in more football production. So I like the quickness. I, I think he's powerful. Um, there's a lot to like there, but we're talking about a guy that had eight and a half career sacks. And when you watch him, you, you see him get washed from the pocket to, uh, or be able to get pushed from the pocket too often. Even when he does get to the pocket, he has some struggles to break down in space. So I love the effort. I love the individual traits with him. I just wish that he was a little more cohesive with how he played with those with those skills um, and was able to put it all together. Some of that was how they, they asked, asked him to play in that Oklahoma scheme. He was a nose tackle. He would play head up over the center. He would, uh, you know, that hybrid three, three-man front that they would run uh, with the Sooners. So that is part of why he wasn't a highly productive player. But still, I just I don't think he fully knows how to use all of those those impressive traits to, together cohesively to be a productive player. Okay, yeah, no, and, and he definitely wasn't consistent throughout his college career. Um, so another there's two other guys that I like in this defensive tackle class, and I think you're I think you're, like it's so funny because when you talk to somebody of your stature when it comes to the draft alone, it's like. I'm high on this guy, and then when I look at your draft grades, it's like I think you're high on him, but at the same time, like, does that mean that they have to be first or second to be high on him? Um, so can you talk a little bit just about, like, what that means when talking to somebody like you? High on but still a fourth-round grade. Like, what would that mean if they were high on, like, more of like a sleeper? Yeah, well, it's tough because obviously context matters when you talk about these types of things, and – you know, I, it's funny because I can watch a player and uh, think I see like a third round guy, but then when you stack them up with the rest of your uh, defensive tackle, say, all of a sudden you say, you know, he's your eighth rated guy, and you're like, okay, well, that's not a third rounder. And so uh, it, it's it's really interesting when you watch a player, you you know, write down all your notes, and then you try to factor them into your rankings. I, I think it's less about, you know, round and, and, and about that, it's more about fit. And that makes it tough for someone like me on the outside who's, you know, I'm, I don't have a specific scheme that I'm scouting for. Right. I don't have a specific culture, you know, a, a, a fit for a team. And that's why a lot of draft boards out there in the league, 
they consist of 120, 150 names. You know, they're not these, you know, they're not 300 names. Like the number of scouting reports, uh, well, they're like 400 or scouting reports in the draft guide. You know, there's going to be just a fraction of that on actual draft boards because not everybody's a fit for what each team is looking for. And so, uh, you know, with that said, it does make it tough at times when, you know, you're trying to project these guys to the next level. Um, you know, I, I think it's less about, you know, I, I feel like I have to do rounds as kind of your, your grades yep. because that's what people digest. That's what people relate with. But it's more about fit and, you know, paying attention to uh, the last line in each report, which for me, I, you know, I point out, okay, he's best as a, a shaded nose or a penetrating, penetrating three technique or, you know, whatever it may be. I think that's the most important thing rather than just the round grade. No, that's – thank you because that, 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 that explains a lot to me as far as when – because I've been reading your guide since you dropped it, and I just love the detail in it. Uh, but when I look at like the the list of prospects and I look at the grade, I, I so I appreciate that. All right, so two other guys for me, really it's three. But De- Devon Hamilton out of Ohio State, Lee Kaifosu yeah. out of Utah, and the one for me that I'd feel comfortable with if he was available in the fourth or fifth round would be Richard Lawrence. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about those three? Hamilton really came on this year. Uh, he was a big-time recruit, um, not not a huge recruit, actually. I mean, he was kind of the, the lesser known of the Ohio State in that class. Um, but he was a guy that a lot of other programs wanted. And Ohio State, towards the end of uh, that signing class, had a spot open, so they gave it to him. And, you know, he registered it, didn't start his first two years. Uh, even as a junior, he was more of a rotational player. And so he wasn't a name that was highly rated coming into the season, watching him over the summer – you just didn't see anything special, but then I think it was probably midway through March or midway through October. Uh, you know, five six games into the season, you could tell Devon Hamilton was playing like a like a different guy. Uh, we were well built. He's six four three twenty, really really powerful dude. He can move centers uh, and create that disruption in the backfield. He's more of your run stopper uh, that's going to clog things up in the middle. But he also showed the ability to uh, snatch, to push-pull, to create his own passing uh, rush lanes to the pocket where he can be disruptive. So Devon Hamilton, I think he's going to be a very popular defensive tackle prospect. Somewhere in the top 80 picks is where I think he's going to come off the board. Um, And then, you know, with Lucky Botu out of Utah, just a – monster of a man, 6'5", 330 pounds, moves much better than you would expect someone that size to move. Uh, but it's kind of the same with the, the Neville Gallimore conversation where you like a lot of the individual traits with Sotu, uh, you know, how big he is, he's powerful, he, he's got some foot quickness to him. But in terms of being a technically sound player, he's just not there yet. And so you wish that he was more efficient with how he used his moves. And uh, I think that would lead to more football production because another guy that just wasn't very productive in the stat sheet and when you watched him on film. Um, and then, you know, I think that when you get to the day three area, the defensive tackles, it, it starts to thin out a little bit. But Rashard Lawrence is one of those names that stands out and would be terrific value on day three, round four, round five. Um, you know, another wasn't super productive for LSU. Was part of their rotation, played inside, played outside in their three-man front. But you know, he is gives tremendous effort. He was a three-year captain uh, at LSU, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, there's just a lot to like about him as someone that is not going to be expensive in terms of a draft choice. But you plug him in your rotation, uh, wind him up, let him loose, and I think he can give you some versatility. Yeah, I really like. 
uh, all three of those guys. And if we weren't to go early, I, I, I'd feel comfortable with Hamilton, Hamilton, Fotu, and Lawrence. I think that Lawrence, to me, is, isn't is as much of a reach just given uh, what he accomplished in college. I think he'd be a good fit for this team as well. All right, so let's move on to the edge rushers. Um, obviously, there's Chase Young, there's Caleb on Chesion, and then after that, that's there's just a very significant drop-off in, in the edge rushers. Um, if you were to pick one player that was going to really surprise people uh, when he's drafted and his production in the NFL, who would you pick? And, and for, for, for me, it would be um, Derek Tuzga out of North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. But for you, who would it be? Uh, I would say uh, Josh Uche from Michigan, who is a little undersized. He's 6'1", 245. Uh, he wasn't a full-time player uh, at Michigan really until his senior year. And even then, he didn't play uh, a ton of snaps. He's still a guy that's discovering uh, how to be a, an efficient player. But if you bring him in, you have a patient coaching staff, he has, he is twitched up. He's got speed for days. Uh, he's got some length to him, so he's not just a run-past-you type of rusher. He can extend in the blockers, convert that speed into, into power, into momentum to get blockers on their heels. So, you know, he's still putting together what to do with his – all these different gifts that he has, but I'm a big fan of Josh Uche and what he, not only what he is right now, but what he's going to be a year from now and two years from now. I think he could be a really productive pass rusher uh, in the NFL in the right scheme. Okay. Um, can you tell me when, when Jacob Martin was taken by Seattle, what was your draft, like your scouting report on Jacob Martin? Um, you know, I, I saw a player that was, you know, moved well, was athletic, you know, it's kind of, you weren't sure where to play him, and, but at the same time, you thought he'd be really good on special teams. Um, you know, as a guy that has the, the mentality, the aggressiveness, has the speed, uh, you know, just has, uh, you know, you weren't sure where to put him on defense, you know, where in the front seven are you playing him, inside, outside, is he going to play, you know, closer uh, to the line of scrimmage, you know, is he a guy that uh, can, you know, stack and shed and, and use his length, but at the same time, because of his special teams value, I think that's what got him drafted and is, you know, keeping him around in the league. Okay. Um, so, obviously, Texans fans are really high on Jacob Martin right now. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Clowney was part of the trade, so I think they're hoping that we win that somehow. Um, mm-hmm. But he's so he, he needs to add some weight to be a, a three-down player. And right now, he's really only a first and second down player, and I, I, he's a liability on third down. Um Actually, let me take that back. He's not a first-down player. He's a second- and third-down player. Um, anything right, you're right, rushing, right. The, rushing the passer. But um, he's so quick off the edge. I mean, yeah. he, he lives in the backfield. If you watch the Kansas City tape from the divisional round, I mean, he was pressuring Patrick Mahomes throughout the entire game. Um, so I think Texans fans are pretty high on him. Uh, all right, so let's get to the cornerbacks. It's funny because this week we're hearing a lot more about C.J. Henderson than we thought we would. Uh, it looks like Jeff Okuda is not the top corner based on some of the, the rumblings going on uh, behind the scenes. If, if you were looking at, uh, if you were to take one corner to build around on your defense, would, would it be Okada? And is it more oh, because yeah. of the upside? Yeah, no question. Yeah. I, I mean, there's CJ Henderson definitely has some momentum right now. And I, I think that there's, there's some merit to that. He's well liked. But to me, Okuda is the best corner in this draft, and that's that's what the that's more the consensus I think than um, you know C.J. Henderson. Uh, and the biggest part is 
Henderson is, you just wish he was more of a playmaker at the catch point. He's not a guy that is creating these big plays down the field. And uh, as a run defender, he leaves a lot to be desired. But with Okuda, I think if you're drawing up a corner, that's what you want him to look like. He's over 6'1", he's 205 pounds, really uh, long arms. And, you know, he ran a 4.48, which I know isn't a 4.2, but plenty fast enough where he plays sticky coverage. He's a smart player. He's very aware. Uh, and if teams are going to go after him, he's not afraid to step up and make plays. So, to me, Jeff Okuda is the clear number one. C.J. Henderson is number two, but I do think there's a little bit of a gap there. And A.J. Terrell from Clemson is another name to keep an eye on because there's a lot of teams in the top 15, 16 picks that are big fans of Terrell, uh, a guy that's, you know, tall, long, and has ran a 4-4-2 at, at, the, at the combine. So uh, their teams are going to bet on those traits at the cornerback position. If you're tall, you're long, and you have some speed, that that's the, the combination. And I think Terrell, even though the, the lasting image uh, from his college uh, career was Jamar Chase beating him up and down the field in the national title game, he still offers uh, value because his body of work, I, he has some good tape out there. He has, he, you feel like he's going to grow and develop and get better. So would not shock me at all if we're talking about Okuda, Henderson, and Terrell being top 15 corners in this class. Yeah. I, I really like Terrell. I like his size. Um, I, I'm really high on Jeff Gladney, and, and for me it's more about just the way he plays. He's very mm-hmm. aggressive. He doesn't let the bigger receivers uh, manhandle him. He's there in their face the entire time. Um, he's just a very physical corner. Yep, yeah, I agree. And I don't think I, I've ever used the word bulldog before uh, for a corner, uh, but that, that's how he plays, kind of like a, along the lines of what you're saying. Um, that mentality that he competes with, you love. Um, he's, he's a guy that gets his hands on the football. Uh, he had more passes defense in, in college, 43, then he did starts, 42. So both great numbers, but I think the, the stat that translates really well, uh, you know, more than sacks, more than more than any other stat, is passes defense. If you can get your hands on the football in college, chances are you're going to get your hands on the football in the NFL. So uh, Jeff Gladney, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, he, I'm higher on him than he's where, where he's going to be drafted. I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. That's but that's where I have slotted. I think he's worthy of that. Yeah, I think his size more than anything is going to scare teams off. But, like, when you look at the way he plays the game, like, there's certain traits that aren't going to be developed. Like, you're either a dog mm-hmm. and that's how you play, or you're not and you, you rely on your physical, you know, ability. And with Gladney, that trait alone in the quarterback position, there's a couple of them in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey being one of them, who really mm-hmm. plays the exact same way. Now, obviously, Ramsey's bigger, but... Um, I just see a lot of the, the physical aspect when it comes to a corner for me. Um, I, I think you can you can start to ta- like kind of tailor it a little bit and have him learn how to use it more, which will be a big part of his game, right? But um, when you have that aspect to your to your game, it's just it's something you got to build on, and I think teams are really going to like that. Agree, I agree, and that's something that um, you know you'd rather your corners be maybe a little over-aggressive than under-aggressive, and I think Gladney definitely offers that. Uh, All right, so let's talk a little bit about Lonnie Johnson because what I wanted to do was ask you, so can you talk about guys that, you know, you've scouted in the past and, you know, you saw, and and with Lonnie specifically, I mean, this this pretty much aligns with your exact scouting report last year. Uh, You know, needed to work on footwork, needed to work on his transition and opening up his hips, um, we saw last year on tape that those were the biggest areas. If he was playing press man, he was fine. 
But if he was playing mm-hmm. off coverage, he struggled because he doesn't have the speed to be able to react fast enough. But this offseason, what we're seeing with Lonnie, and I've, you know, it's 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 hard to look at what he's doing uh, in Houston, but he's working with the Footwork King, who I'm sure you're you're familiar with, um, and he's worked a lot on his footwork. He's worked a lot on his transition, and he worked a lot on just kind of opening up his hips. And have you seen players come year two who have been able to identify what their areas of weakness are and go in and make the improvements in year two look like a different player? And if so, can you tell me who? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, he wouldn't be the first to do it. I mean, we, we definitely have seen it before. Um, you know, I'm trying to think off the offhand who, um, you know, who has done that really well or, you know, recently, a recent example. But, you know, I, I think that with Johnson, he, he he was a big athlete and a guy that was obviously raw at the position. And so coaching is such a big part of it. And not only the, the coaching, but how, the, how does the player digest that coaching? And that's something that, uh, there were some questions about with Lonnie Johnson is would he be able to digest all the coaching that would be thrown at him at the NFL level um, because it, the the technique, uh, the ability to drop, the sink, and, you know, that transitional skill, uh, you know, it's something that he needed to get better at. When you watched him on, on film at Kentucky, his processor wasn't where it needed to be. He needed to identify routes quicker. He needed to understand the spacing relationships between route combinations, um, different things like that that, uh, you know, he struggled with, and that, you know, led to big plays. So that's why the we talk so much about the interview process. That's why we talk so much about uh, how important it is for these 30 visits, which unfortunately we don't have this year. Uh, it's more than just watching the film. It's trying to understand uh, a player's mentality. So, okay, what are you looking at here? What, what's your key? And what, what, have you, what did you learn from this mistake? And, you know, some guys just don't make the same mistakes over and over again without understanding what they're doing wrong because they just they thrive on just their natural instinct instead of understanding the why, the technique behind it. So some of those fundamental, uh, you know, shortcomings are something that, uh, are coachable, but not everybody's able to make those adjustments. So that's why the interview process, that's why these 30 visits are so important. It, it allows uh, these players, you know, these coaches and general managers to ask these specific questions to get a better idea how coachable is he? You know, how, uh, what's his, the likelihood he's going to be able to fix these mistakes? And I think with Lonnie Johnson, the response on that was mixed. You know, it was uh, some people thought he would be able to, some were more questionable or more uh, concerned that he would be able to make the, the proper adjustments to be a reliable corner. So, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting for Lonnie Johnson. That's why he was a, more of a later, uh, you know, second-round pick, not a earlier second-round pick or a first-rounder, is because of those question marks. Yeah, I, I interviewed So eager to see him as a sophomore. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I want to hear that, that last part. No, no, I was eager. I'm eager to see him in year two as a sophomore in the NFL. What kind of adjustments does he make? Uh, you know, the coaching staff had him for a full year now. What adjustments are they going to be able to make with him? Clearly a talented dude, but just still has a, a lot of room to grow. And I'm eager to see if he takes that next step or if he's stagnant or, or you know, what kind of adjustments does he make? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And I think when it comes to Lonnie, so I interviewed him last week. I've been studying his film a lot. Um, You know, he seems to be a little bit more open in his interviews now. He seems to kind of – I called him out specifically on a play against the San Diego Chargers where he was covering Mike Williams, and he bit on a double – he bit on an in and uh, and up. 
and uh, basically just blatantly gave a, a PI so that he uh, Mike Williams didn't catch a touchdown. But um, I talked about that with him, and there was no defensiveness in his voice. He talked specifically about it, what he was thinking. He was like, it was third down. I knew where the sticks were. My, my goal was to not let him have that. When he hit the end, I bit. He's like, and that's what I'm working on this offseason. So it was, it was just different hearing him there and then watching his interviews in Kentucky. He just seems some, uh, just a little different. He seems just like he has a different mindset. So if if that's the case and he's able to do kind of what you're saying, um, I think Lonnie has the potential to be a really good corner given his physical traits. But it's, mm-hmm. it's all about the coaching and, and him being able to take that and apply it. Yeah, that's why evaluators almost have to be, uh, you know, psychologists and, uh, you know, to understand the psyche of these guys, which is not an easy thing to do. So, um, you know, evaluating goes much more than just watching the tape. Yep. No, agreed. All right. Last category, wide receivers. Uh, So, obviously, this is the deepest wide receiver class in a long time. Some people have had some debates, you know, 2014, I think 2007. Um, But... This class is really good. Um, lots of different wide receivers. Uh, the Texans, obviously, given the circumstances, I think made the right decision grabbing Brandon Cooks and having a veteran uh, to play and produce immediately instead of relying on a rookie to do so, especially at that 40th pick. Uh, that's another mm-hmm. conversation for another day. But if you're looking at these wide receivers, if you were to pick two that would fit this new style of offense that it looks like the Texans want to play, which is pretty much a NASCAR offense. They want fast guys that can go stretch the field. They have you know, maybe an underneath guy. Um, but if you could look at two guys that potentially could help this team and could be later round picks, maybe third or fourth, who would you look for the Texans to target? Uh, well, yeah, and before the trade in my mock draft, I had the Texans taking uh, Jalen Rager in my mock draft. But obviously I think that changes things. Uh, a player that I think, uh, you know, they might be interested in, you know, Devin DuBernay, keep him in Texas, uh, a guy that uh, was just get the ball in his hands. He was kind of almost an extension of the run game in, from the slot. Uh, you know, you work him underneath, uh, get him the ball in his hands, let him be a running back. Uh, but he could also track the deep ball. And so I think there's a lot there with uh, Devin DuVernay. And he's going to be somewhere in that late third, early fourth. Um, and then if you want to wait later in day three, uh, on Hightower from Boise State is a deep threat, can go vertical. Uh, Joe Reed from Virginia is a guy that doesn't get talked about enough as a player that has size, uh, has speed, he can be a return man. So I think those are a few names that would fit what the Texans are looking for and could be had for you know reasonable prices in the draft. What about Quez Watkins out of Southern Miss? Yeah, he can run like the wind, and I think he's got quick reflexes. Um, you know, I think he's a, he's a player you really worry about the, the play strength. Uh, he will get manhandled a little bit when he goes up against physical corners. So, But if he's able to get a free release, if he's able to get downfield, definitely a player that uh, can create a little separation and, and a guy that can go get the football. So uh, we're talking about fifth, sixth round uh, in that type of range. That's where you take a chance on a guy like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Dane. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I love doing this with you every year. I'm glad that off the air we were able to talk about how we could actually talk midseason next year a little bit and, and talk about these players that we're going to talk about again in April or February, March, and April. So, Dane Brugler, why don't you tell them where they can find you um, and all that good stuff. And, again, I, I appreciate it. No, of course. Uh, you know, best uh, places on Twitter at DP Brugler, um, and then at the Athletic, you can find all my work there, including the draft guide. Which, if you have your Athletic subs- uh, subscription, it's a uh, part of that. So um, I promise you, if you're interested in the NFL draft at all, 
there is a 0% chance you will be disappointed uh, in what the draft guide has to offer, the amount of information, the research, uh, and, of course, uh, the analysis. I, I think it's something that uh, you'll really enjoy. So hopefully people uh, go and sign up and check it out. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dane. I really appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. All right, looking forward to it. Take care. All right, welcome to Texans Unfiltered. We've got a uh, special episode here tonight. Um, this will end up being a part of our big pre-draft extravaganza. We've got one of the newer guys out on Texans Twitter, but he's been putting out a lot of great stuff. Um, this is Texans Draft. He's going to sit down and kind of talk to me a little bit about what we expect with this draft, some of the prospects he likes. Uh, you can find him at HOU Texans Draft. And if you have not, if you're not following him, go ahead and follow him. Look up at some of his tri- um, some of his Twitter threads, and you'll actually be very, very impressed. That's why we got him out here. Um, so, Dylan, get you to go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll just kind of go from there. What's up, everyone? I'm Dylan. Obviously, you can find me at Hugh Texans Draft. But I've always been a fan of the draft, so I'm excited I get to talk about it now. So, it and my favorite team, Texans, of course. So I'm excited, excited to be on here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, you're a little bit new to Texans Twitter, like I said. Yep. Um, however, I started following you fairly recently, and again, very, very impressed with some of the some of the stuff that you've put together so far. Appreciate um, it. Why don't you just say, especially because I mean, for for somebody so young, uh, why don't you kind of go over what has developed your ability to start scouting some of these guys and why we should pay attention to what you're saying? Well, uh, my ability to scout just came from, I just kept, I wouldn't call myself a professional by any stretch of the imagination, but I just started watching players cut-ups and just like started watching them over and over again. I usually watch three games of each player just to get an overview of their, their, um, their entire game. And I just, I love what I love like if I like them obviously I'll watch a little more of them but I just love I love watch I love watching football and I love and one of the main things is I love being right about a player like uh, last year I was really high on Max Crosby and obviously he's been uh, he he had like ten sacks or something uh, last season so being right about a player is one of the best feelings and that's like always I think that's what a lot of scouts are searching for is like they want to be right about a player. So I, you just, I just love watching football and love learning about players, honestly, like, and seeing their journey from draft prospect to elite NFL player is really cool. Okay. So um, did you, are you, like, from a family of coaches? Are you? Uh, no, actually. Did you play ball? Uh, did you just? Grab a couple of books, listen to a couple of podcasts. Like yeah, mainly my knowledge has come from just watching a lot of football. My, I've never played football actually ever. Okay. Except flag football, that's it. And like, uh, but I've just watched a lot of football. My dad, my my dad's a huge Nebraska fan. We we okay. grew up going to a lot of games, watching a lot of Nebraska football, and it's gradually turned into watching the NFL. Texans were the closest team, decided to, because I'm from San Antonio, and uh, that's when my love of football just blossomed. And in the recent, like, I used to be kind of a casual fan, but in the recent years, I'd say about 2016, I started hardcore in football, like following the draft and everything. So I'm fairly new and still learning every day, obviously. 
Okay. How many hours of film a week do you say you watch? A lot, especially this time of year. And especially since there's not much better to do, like, I'm watching film pretty much all day uh, now. nowadays. Like, when I'm not... I, there's breaks I take because, like, it can get exhausting, uh, but film hours a week, probably 40. Oh, wow. So you're, yeah. you're doing this as a full-time job. Yeah, this is not much any better to do. Probably, probably a lot less if we were in quarantine, but still, I, like, I feel like I watch a lot. Okay. Yeah, no, forty hours is that's a good amount. Um, no, it's a good it's a good year to get started in this. I would say. Um, I, yeah, yeah. With all the craziness of the world, to have extra time and kind of put things and together. One of the most, yeah, this is one of the most unique drafts in recent memory. So yeah. it's going to be really interesting. Next, we're a week out, so it's going to be really interesting. I don't know when this will air, but yeah, uh, it's going to air prior to the draft. I'm okay. let, let everyone out there know. Again, this should be a part of our. Texans Unfiltered pre-draft special. Um, we'll kind of edit it down, and we'll just go from there. Um, we might do we'll, – actually, we're going to do a bunch more things. But we're going to put out a great big episode right before the draft. All right. So how do you narrow down which prospects to watch? Um, one of the reasons that I don't that I do not do as many breakdowns as I used to is just there's so many players out there. The Texans never yeah. draft in the first round. You never, you have no idea who's going to fall to the second round. I mean, yeah. even last year, guys that I was like, oh, these will be sleepers. They'll be late round, sixth, seventh round picks. They end up going in the second or third round. And it's just like, why bother? So, yeah. Um, a lot of students for sure. Yeah. So how do you figure out who you're going to watch and who you're going to um, devote all this time to? So when I first started this whole process, when I was first starting to uh, study players, I would go through a lot of big boards and I would look at players that have similar body types to what the Texans like. Um, like, I know we lost DJ Reader, so, and I know it's probably going to be a, um, it's probably going to be a priority to replace him in some form or fashion in the draft. So I was like, let's look at, at first when I was, starting to study defensive linemen. I was like, let's look at players that were similar to DJ Reader and similar to Brandon Dunn even. Brandon Dunn's kind of similar to DJ Reader. So that's how – and then obviously in other positions I would do that as well. That's how I first started. In, and then after that, when I got through with all the um, all the similar body types of the Texans in my draft, I would go I – I like the draft network's big board. I would go just down the draft network to the board and look through all those players, just go, go down each position of need and everything. And that's really how I would narrow it down and uh, conduct my study. But I don't agree with the draft network to the board most of the time. I just like their layout of the website. Yeah, okay. No, it's fair enough. Yeah. All right. Um, so who do you think the Texans will target? Okay, so I have I have a lot of players I think the Texans might target. Um, I think a guy that I think is that they might target at ninety. He's probably too rich for them at forty, even though I'm team trade down at forty. But um, uh, Jordan Elliott out of Missouri. Okay. They've met with him and they've conducted a workout before the whole quarantine started. 
And Bill O'Brien has a voice. Uh, he's voiced the need that he wants a, a three-down interior defensive lineman who can rush the passer and run stuff. DJ Reader never really saw the field much on passing downs. So um, uh, Jordan Elliott is a three-down player. He rarely left the field at Missouri. Uh, he's got some. He's got some potential as pa- at pass rush. He's got uh, some run stuff ability. Only thing, like, I like him. I think he has a lot of potential. He's pretty athletic. But I, he's got, he, in college, he got taken out of plays far too much, in my opinion. Um, like, he wasn't very good at shedding blocks. So if he can, like, he wasn't very disruptive at all, as disruptive as I would have liked. But he's got some talent for sure that I think the Texans really like him due to his three-down ability. Okay. Um who do you think they'll target at 40? At 40, uh, let's see. At 40, so as much as I would not like this pick, they've met with J.K. Dobbins twice. And he's right there at 40, most likely. I'm not sure if they're going to take him, but meeting with a player twice, have, being in his draft zone, I wouldn't like this pick, but it. It, look, it looks like they might be training that way. I hope they don't. If, of course, if Kenneth Murray's there, I think they take Kenneth Murray because they've also met with him twice. Kenneth Murray's a super athletic linebacker from Oklahoma. And, um, but So why yeah. would you be disappointed if they take Dobbins, but you'd be excited about uh, Henry? Oh, wait. What, Kenneth Murray? Ken, I'm sorry, Murray. <laughs> sorry, right. I was, I was uh, trying to figure out who you were talking about for a second. So, yeah, just get into yeah. a little bit more detail why – why Dobbins would be so disappointing? Like, I, I, I love Dobbins, but at, at um, the way this league is going, it's just you can find value at running back in the fifth, sixth, and even seventh round. And especially since we just traded DeAndre Hopkins for a running back, I just – and to spend that you – you've got a running back in the trade, and then to spend that pick you also got in the trade on a running back, it's just – a lot, in my opinion, especially since we have David Johnson and Duke Johnson. The rookie running back at 40 would be the third-string running back, which first-string running backs aren't even that valuable in the grand scheme of things, like uh, especially in this pass-heavy league that we are in now. So I just think if they're going to draft a running back, I would rather it be in the fifth or the seventh round. Obviously, they don't have a six-round pick. But, but Dobbins is a really good player, but I just don't think it's a valuable pick in my opinion. Do you think Dobbins would be an upgrade over either David Johnson or Duke Johnson? Uh, immediately, I'm not sure. We don't know what we don't know what David Johnson's really going to be for us yet. Like he's he's recovering from a lot of injuries. I I know he was pretty productive before his injury last season, so I'm, I'm hopeful, but I think he would like you traded you traded hot for David Johnson. I think he sees the field a lot early. I think J.K. Dobbins would eventually probably be our running back one. Like, Duke is, I think he's still under contract, but he's he's a nice compliment to J.K. Dobbins. And I think Dave, we can let go of David Johnson, David Johnson after this year, which wouldn't make any sense, but we can. So I think he could progress past them, but I'm not sure about early in the season. I think they'll want to give David Johnson a fair shot. Okay. Um, and Murray, why do you think he'd be the better pick? Especially since uh, if we don't trade McKinney, if we keep BMAC, we are actually, I mean, we're pretty set at linebacker. Yeah, we are. We are. I've I've been, 
I've been beating the drum over this whole draft process. I think we need kind of a linebacker safety hybrid to just kind of like we need a coverage linebacker for sure. Dylan Cole is pretty injury prone, and he's our best coverage linebacker by far. Cunningham's gotten better. Bmac's just not very good at it. It's not his not his specialty at all. I don't think he's. I think that's just what he is. But Kenneth Murray, I saw he was adequate in coverage, and he's just super athletic, super rangy. Like he is, like. He had 15 tackles for loss last season, which is a lot for for a linebacker. And I don't know. I feel like I feel like right now the Texans are in best player available mode on defense, maybe. So if he's there at 40, I don't think they can pass him up, in my opinion, just because he's he offers he offers a lot to a defense. Even though we do have Zach Cunningham, we do have BMAC, but he does offer he does offer another dimension because. Zach Cunningham's pretty athletic, but he's not Kenneth Murray athletic. Like Kenneth Murray ran like a four four five, I think, at like two hundred thirty pounds. Like he's like super athletic and super rangy. So uh, I think if he's there, they do take him, considering they have um, they have Mavison twice already. Okay. Um. Well, now from your personal pers- perspective, um, what player do you hope? Not necessarily the Texans take, but that you hope is there at 40. It's like you're being completely selfish on this one. You can take any player out there. I hope uh, my my personal pick would probably be Josh Uche from um, Michigan. Okay. I, I think edge, edge rush is obvious. Uh, pass rush is obviously a big need. I think we have a lot of I think we have a lot, a lot of power rushers. We have Minahu, Merciless, JJ Watt, obviously. And I think we need some speed rushers. Josh Uche is really fast off the snap. He and he's dropped in coverage as well, and has been looked to have been serviceable in coverage. So he's really quick off the snap. He's a really twitchy rusher, and I really like what he offers. Excuse me, what he offers to this football team. He has a great bend off. He has a great bend uh, um, around linemen, and he's a really good. He's a really special pass rusher in my opinion. I think. I think we could trade down probably 10 spots and still get him because uh, I, I like the idea of trading down maybe pick up an extra third or fourth uh, if there's not a player we absolutely love at 40. But he's, he's a really good player that I would love to have on this team. All right. Um, well, who is your favorite prospect that you think the Texans have no chance at that you would give up the draft for him? Like you were just like, I, this is my guy. I'm going to go get him. Uh, see, that's what I like about this draft. There's not like, like about the fact that we have no first round pick. There's not really many like players that are like, oh my God, I wish we had, I wish we had a first round pick so we could go get him. But Javon Kinlaw is pretty special. And I think he, you know, um, this is why I invited you on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you like Kinlaw too? Dude, I went to South Carolina. Um, uh, if you okay. ever listen to the show, whenever I can get a chance to. Uh, bump Ken Law. That that's my guy. Oh yeah, Ken Law's pretty but spe- he's athletic. Like he's athletic, super strong. I think he'd exactly what uh the Texans are looking for in in the drafts, but uh obviously he's probably going top fifteen, maybe even top ten. So I'm not sure if it was on the happy hour or on the podcast last week, but I said I'd give up all of our picks this year to get Ken Law. <laughs> I was like, that's it. Let's go get him. So you know just Ken Law, yeah. yeah. Just, just Ken Law. Trade up. If he fell into the, if he was falling towards like eighteen, nineteen, I, yeah, 
If I was if I was GM of the Texans, it's not going to happen. It'd be pretty tempting if he was in the mid twenties to trade up. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know if we have capital for it though. Like, I don't even know if if a team would want all. Like, I don't even know. We don't have a first round pick. I don't. Yeah, yeah we don't have the capital. I've I've, yeah. ran, I've ran the scenarios, and I mean, at best, we've got to hope that he doesn't just get caught smoking a joint. He needs to get smoked, caught with yeah, like a exactly. pound of weed. Let's send him some weed. What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> you know, actually, I mean, <laughs> that that's not a bad plan. No. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, who's a sleeper prospect that everybody should pay more attention to? He has been getting a lot of attention, but I like um, I like Derek Tuska from uh, North Dakota State, edge rusher. He's uh he's pretty fast off the snap too. I like him. I like him. Uh, super productive. He had like 29 sacks like in two seasons. Uh, uh, his last two seasons, and uh, he he's been getting a lot of looks recently. A lot of hype on Twitter. So I think who knows what the NFL views him at. But I think he's he, you should definitely pay attention to him. I think I think I've tweeted about him a couple times, but. He would be um, he would be a quality addition to the pass rush in the later rounds. If not, I would take him at ninety if he's there. Honestly, he's really, really yeah. I, I I don't think the NFL views him like that, but like personally, he he has third round grade in my book. Okay, no, he yeah. on our happy hour that was actually my sleeper pick. So yeah, maybe this is why I've I've I really appreciate your Twitter because we like the same players. Yeah. Um, so who knows? I might some, say something. My wife also, her family's like boosters for NDSU, so oh, I get really? to I get to watch those guys. Okay. I have to watch way too much um, NDSU football. Um, but Not he was yet. the guy. Yeah. He just he seemed he stood out. If you go out there, yeah. he looked like yeah. the best player on the field by far. It was similar to yeah. how, oh oh one hundred percent like there was just. Like you could tell he was the NFL guy on the defense. Yeah. Like, he, <laughs> and there was NFL guys on on the defense. There was a, a yeah. linebacker that I believe plays for the Jaguars now. I'm, I'm blanking oh. on his name. And last year, when Tuska was a junior and this guy was a senior, Tuska still looked like the better player. And this guy, I mean, he's in the NFL. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Shoot, what is his name? I think I, I know who you're talking about. Um, I, I'm blanking on his name, too, though. I think I remember. Uh, Sorry. I'm going to – I'm actually going to look him up because he's going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, DeLuca. Nick DeLuca. Yeah. 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 That name is definitely familiar from so, – I don't think I – I don't think I was familiar with him pre-draft, but definitely when we played the Jags. Uh, he he was a good player, and but Tuska's much 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 better. And yeah, yeah Tuska's been super uh, underrated for a while. He's just starting to get some buzz. Like I remember, you could get him in the seventh in a lot of the mock draft simulators you want to do. Now you can get him in the fifth. So he's he's rising in mock draft simulators at least. Yeah, he may just fall because. Of nobody really getting to do the in-person workouts, but you never know. He's one of those guys to kind of yeah. watch out for. Um, who's yeah, the guy? If the Texans pick him up, you are going to flip the table over because you can't believe they just wasted that draft pick. 
Terrell Lewis, I don't like at all. I think he's super raw, and I think he's super – he just doesn't offer much. But uh, they have met with him, so I think it's possible that he might um, he might be the pick at 40. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do at 40. I think this is a year where we have no clue what they're going to do. Like last year, we knew they were going to pick a cornerback and an offensive line. This year, we don't – I really have no clue what they're going to do with their first pick. So – Terrell Lewis is one of the guys I would I would not like. I don't think the Jonathan Taylor. I would not like Jonathan Taylor at all. Either. Really? Yeah. Jonathan Taylor low key had one of the better like college seasons ever for a running back. Yeah, but it just goes back to the fact I think he's less athletic than Dobbins and um, Dobbins is smaller. Really? Dobbins, uh, yeah. Dobbins doesn't hit the two twenty bent or the two twenty. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor is definitely the better power back for sure, but I think Dobbins is more athletic in my opinion. Uh, just better top end speed, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't be happy with either of them, so it's a moot point. But anyways, Jonathan Taylor, Terrell Lewis, um, not much else, honestly. I'm I'm pretty open this year. Uh, I like a lot of players they're looking at, like so. I'm pretty open, and I and I know a lot of us have got given Bill a lot of a lot of grief over the over the years, but I think he's doing pretty well this off season. Besides the return for the DeAndre Hopkins trade, I like the way the offense is looking. So he built a really good offense that on paper looks good. So I think we got to give him a little. I'm I'm giving him a little little faith in him right now to build a good defense as well. So hopefully he doesn't. He'll he'll probably. He'll probably slap me in the face and be like, "You should not have done. You should not have put faith in me." But right now, I have a little bit of faith in him. So okay, well, I'm you're gonna good. be you're gonna be GM for the draft night. Who? What is your plan? Not necessarily who you're gonna draft, but what would your plan going in? I think my plan is become faster on defense. I I think he he became faster on offense. I think he want like defense speed kills on defense too. So I want I I want a speed rusher. I want a super fast uh, 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 defensive back, Amik Robertson. I know that's one of your guys, too. So uh, that's my plan on draft night. Uh, I just want to become faster, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to become better in the in the drafts, for sure. All right. And, well, this last little bit, I'm going to let you tear up my, my guys. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm a big, big fan of Del Pitt. Like, he's actually who I go to bed every night praying <laughs> props. You know, if we pick him up, it kills the dream of bringing Eric Reed to the Texans. And part yeah. of me would just love to see Eric Reed and Justin Reed. That'd be pretty cool. But That'd be Eric fun. Reed, but yeah, Eric Reed had a um, had a pretty bad year, according to PFF. Uh, I, I don't buy into PFF that much, but apparently he was second to last graded safety. Really? Which is pretty crazy to me, so I'm not sure. But <laughs> I mean, he I also set the season record for the Panthers in tackles this past year. Interesting. So oh, I don't I don't know how that meshes. I mean, PFF, if you take it with a grain of, grain it's, of salt, it's, it's, it's a starting it's, spot. It's, so it's a starting spot for, like, yeah, exactly. I used to be, like, I, I didn't used to be, like, a PFF, like, truther, but I used to, like, go there quite often to see what what a player was valued at, I guess. But now you, you, you really can't so stupid, like, I think Watson was, like, the 20th rated quarterback on their scale last year, which is, like, ridiculous. So it's just, like, 
and that's like one example of many for a bunch of guys across the league. Their 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 system's pretty broken, but I just thought it was interesting that Eric Reed was second to last among safeties, which is weird. Well, I mean, even at this stage in his career, if Eric Reed is a um, oh shoot, why am I forgetting? Um, he's a essentially a more like athletic version of just of a day. Like even if that's where he's at, mm. I mean that's still an improvement over last year. And I, I, yeah. just, I selfishly, I think it'll be cool. But it would be pretty cool. Um, I was pretty shocked when I heard O'Brien um, call safety a need. Considering really? Have, yeah, we have four safety. Like we have two starting caliber safeties, and uh, Jalen Watkins and Eric Murray seem to be pretty quality depth pieces. Like obviously, it'd be nice to add one more safety, but I wouldn't call it a priority. So I thought I was pretty shocked. I like actually would put. I'm I'm one of those believers that that strong safety play makes your corners look better. Mm. And if you have strong safety play and your corners look better, it makes your pass rush yeah. look better. Like I I just yeah, believe it's yeah. kind of they're all interlocking. Like you've got to have some sort of some sort of juice up up mm. middle, which we absolutely had nothing of. But yeah, maybe if we got did. another. If we got another safety that that just has the ability to kind of go in and add to our coverage, yeah, which I like Delta a lot for that. Uh, I mean, he's he's got pretty good instincts too. I like him in run support as well, which our safeties don't do a lot of. No. So that would be a that that would be a that would be a welcome addition at forty for me too. I like Delta a lot. Well, if they trade BMAC, I would almost think that you'd need somebody like Delta that can cover and take care of the run. If that, if that if there's truth there's I mean there's a little bit of truth to that rumor but if that actually happens like if that's part of the reason why we don't rely on we don't rely on our safeties to help in the run as much because both Zach Cunningham and BMAC are so good exactly and we need Justin Reed and Tashawn Gibson and all, all the rest of them to cover because our linebackers are not good at it. All right, so Grant Delpitch, you don't think I'm an idiot? All right, I won't. No, I like I like Delpitch. I mean, <laughs> a lot of his. I think it's his only knock is he he missed a lot of tackles, which I mean, it's not ideal for his safety. But apparently, I don't know. I feel like it was a little overblown. He didn't seem to miss. He takes. I I still think his range is really good and his instincts are really solid. So I would still be happy with the pick. All right. Um, another guy that I kind of hope that it may actually fall now because of this diluted sample is Zach Bond. Hmm. Um, I don't, I can't tell what we're going to do with the edge. Yeah. I'm a little bit confused. I think that we've, we've spent a significant amount of capital between Amenahu, Edge of Four, and, and Martin, Jacob Martin, to put together at least a rotation on the edge. And of course we resign, um, Whitney Merciless. Yep. However, I still think that they could use another kind of game breaker out there. I I agree. I think I don't think it's a it's a big need. I just don't think it's I don't think it's like end of the world type need though. Like people, I've I've seen people like I don't know. Our defense wasn't great last year. I feel like a, a lot of that had to do with uh, excuse me coaching. Like Romeo Cornell's scheme sometimes made zero sense. Uh, he was in love with prevent defense, which is makes makes the defense look bad all the time. But um, I think we definitely do need an edge rusher early. I would like 
I would like Vaughn. He's kind of like a middle linebacker, edge rusher type hybrid. So I don't know if Bond's the game breaker you were looking for, but he would add a lot of a lot of value to the to the team as well. But like guys like Josh Uche, Jonathan Greenard, um, um, Bradley, and I all speed rushers that would add a lot to the um, to our pass rush for sure. Because like I said earlier, we do have a lot of power rushers, not a lot of speed rushers. Jacob Martin's the only one, and he's he doesn't see a lot of the snaps because he he doesn't hold up in the run game. Yeah, exactly. So we we I would like Josh Uche. I would really like because he he can he can be the Jacob Martin Jacob Martin type, but he also drops in coverage and he also is pretty solid in the run game. So that's why I really like Josh Uche. Zach Bond, I would not mind. I'm not his biggest fan, but I wouldn't hate to pick at all because he does do a lot of things on defense and he would help the defense for sure, in my opinion. Okay. Um, how much am I a homer for for loving Brian Edwards? You're not a homer at all. I love Brian Edwards. Um, like he he was like one of my top picks for wide receiver before before the Cook trade, obviously. Like uh, I love Brian Edwards. He's I don't know if you've seen, but I posted probably two or three times about him. Uh, do you do you watch a lot of South Carolina games? I uh, I'm an alumni. That's where I went. So, so yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. So you see that double move against Georgia. That's one of my favorite routes. Of the, like of all the, um, yeah. yeah, all the uh, like he sold that like that DB had no chance, and like it was such a smooth route. So and he's pretty athletic with the ball in his hands. So I wouldn't like use him in the screen game a lot. So I, I like he's a big bully. However, yeah. I would say his biggest downfall is sort of similar to like Julio Jones. Like every time you turn around, he's limping, or he's he could just wait to the sideline because mm, he, so cool. he gets yeah. beat up, and then yeah. he's right back out there. Like he never misses a really misses multiple plays, yeah. but that'd be yeah. the downplay. And then yeah. what really sold me on him, even though he didn't play a lot of south, slot at South Carolina, he did he did take a lot of screen passes. I think thirty three percent of mm-hmm. his yards or something ridiculous. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, was off screens, but the idea of moving him to the slot as a big slot similar to Michael Thomas. I, mm. Somebody pointed that out to me, and I was like, that makes way too much sense. It does make a lot of sense. However, I think they might have drafted Waring for that position last year because Waring is a guy that um, he, he's not he's not a good blocker at all, like point blank straight. So like he's if he's going to see the field, it's going to be a big slot. So like maybe that's how they see him, but who knows what they're going to do with him. Maybe he might get cut. Even like if they don't like his injury history, so. All right. Well, that was pretty much everything that I had. Um, we did get a couple of small questions, so, so I'll put them up on the screen. Can you see that? Okay. Yeah. So I see that. Damon Arnett could come in with coming or be looking. Yeah, I Damon Arnett's one of my favorite players. So uh, uh, in this. Uh, so this is on a podcast. I'm going to read it out loud real quick. Oh, okay. uh, Texans 47 asks, Damon Arnett could come in with Connolly and Roby and both being from Ohio State could help. What do you think about that? Uh, it might help, uh, but I think Damon, Arnett's, Damon Arnett would help regardless. He's he's a player that I like. He's super physical, off the line of scrimmage, in press coverage, uses the sideline as a defender very well. Um, I think he's a really talented corner and – uh, he's one of, like when we had two second round picks, it made it made a lot more sense. I don't know if corner is that high of a priority anymore for them. Bill O'Brien did say he's excited about the secondary this season, so he might um, 
it might not be a priority, so he might be a, a little too rich for us, but I would love Arnett to be on this team for sure. And then Tyler Dre said, if we draft UK, we've got to trade Duke Johnson. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we're – J.K. Dobbins, I don't know. I think I don't think we have to trade him considering Duke and David Johnson aren't really going to be used much as power guys. A lot of them – both of them are going to be used a lot in the passing game. A lot of screen passes. I think we're finally going to utilize the screen pass, which we underutilized for so many years. So I'm not sure if we necessarily have to trade him, but if we do draft – JK, I don't think we have. I don't think Duke or one of them doesn't have a long-term future here for sure. Okay. And then just last one because I agree with Texans forty-seven. Brian Edwards can be an empty cologne. I assume he's yeah. talking about Michael Thomas. I like that idea. Another another guy I think is really similar to Michael Thomas is Michael Pittman. I don't know if you've seen him a lot, but he reminds me like he's really big. He's like six four, six five, and like runs like a four five, which is like. 500 faster than Michael Thomas ran. He had a similar movement, so I think that's another Michael Thomas clone. All right. Well, Dylan, um, thank you so much for coming on here. Do you got anything else that you'd like to share or talk about? Uh, one thing I wanted to share, a couple more players. Um, the Texans have met with uh, Logan Stenberg, uh, interior offensive lineman from Kentucky, and uh, I think – I think that's an underrated talking point of this draft. The Texans might go interior offensive lineman early, in my opinion, try to get try to get that young core of offensive of young core of an offensive line complete, like right guards last position. I, I know we don't want Zach Fulton much longer, uh, but like Logan Simberg is really solid. He's really powerful in the run game, really powerful off the line of scrimmage. And I think if we draft him, he can have a Max Sharpen type year in uh, for us. In my opinion, like I think he's super solid. So we have met with him. Seems like there's a lot of interest there from the, from the Texans. Maybe a 90. So I like him a lot. All right, that that'd be a solid pick. There is a little bit of yeah. a rumor that they're looking to upgrade on Fulton. Um, yeah, at Fulton, like he's not great, and he and he he um he makes like eight million a year. So it's yeah. it's a no brainer to try to move on from him. It's kind of funny because two years ago he was our best offensive lineman. <laughs> Yes, he amazing was. how how things change and how quickly. But you want to get you want to get James Blood boiling. Start talking smack about about Fulton. Oh, James likes Fulton. He does. That's his guy. You can tell James. I'm still waiting back. I'm still waiting for a follow back from him. All right. All right. You got anything else? Um, uh, one more, one more player. I just want to highlight. I've highlighted him a lot on my Twitter. Lucky Foto from Utah. He's okay. the most. He's the most natural DJ reader replacement. If they want to draft uh, like a natural DJ reader, like he's like. Six five uh, two four uh, three forty. So, and he's super super solid in the run in the run game. So, and they've met with him. So it's if they like him, uh, I think, and he's there when they when they like his value. I think you could definitely see them drafting him. I I like him a lot personally. Okay. He's the most natural DJ reader replacement in the class. If you want to get a reader replacement, um, from before we get to this question, my comment on on him is I I like him, but. He seemed more natural. He does seem like a natural nose tackle, but not quite as athletic as Reader, so it wouldn't be a one. Yeah, player. definitely similar not. to what we yeah. already got with Dunn, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last question. He kind of snuck it in before before we closed up. Do you have confidence in our CB group as of right now? 
This is Big Cop 300. I have a decent amount of confidence. It's It, it could be better, but I think Conley, uh, he, had, he had a rough start with us, but I, I saw some tweet that he uh, he had the 20th best uh, passer rating against him um, in the uh, in the last uh, seven weeks of the season, which is really good for a corner. And Roby, I really I've been a Roby fan since he came to Houston. He was locked down before his injury. Uh, like I remember, we went to Kansas City in Week Six, and they didn't they didn't throw his way for the whole for the whole first half. So and that's pretty that's saying something considering how potent Casey's offense is. But I think if we were to upgrade a corner, it would be in the nickel position. Uh, Vernon Hargreaves is on a one-year deal, uh, and he wasn't he when he when he did come over, he didn't he didn't exactly light it up. So I think our, our guy Meek Robertson could be a a solid option. I think he's a versatile DB that could help our defense in a lot of ways. So if we were to upgrade, it'd probably be a nickel. It's more wishful thinking that we draft an outside corner. I don't think we do, considering the needs on the defensive line. So. Well, Bill O'Brien has talked about the importance of having a nickel corner. I believe they call it the star position. It might, yeah. I might, be, conf- yeah. might yeah. be confusing my terms, but he had talked about it at length, um, how important that is to their defense, and when they have confidence in that yeah. position, it makes a huge yeah. difference. And they have it with Robertson. I think Robertson has a lot of potential to even be a good safety. I think he's a, a good – he's really good tackler. He's really good in space, and, like, I, I really like him a lot. He's one of my favorite players of the class. So – He'd be a good. He would be a good nickel and a good versatile guy. Like I hate using this comparison, but kind of like Tyron Matthew. But like you know, just a guy who can do a lot for the defense. So that's another name to keep a, keep an eye on. Amik Robertson. Yeah, that's probably why they brought in. Um, probably why they have kind of spent the money that they have on the safety corner hybrids. But I can yeah. definitely see them looking to improve. That position specifically. Yeah, especially since I think we have an out on Gibson after this year, so I don't know if they – he hasn't uh, – he, I thought he played pretty well up until his injury, but they do have an out, so maybe they're looking for his eventual replacement. Who knows? Oh, maybe. Um, let's they, see. Just, they did just pay Eric Murray $9 million a year, so we'll see about them. Yeah, I, I, I don't even want to get into I don't know. They must see something in Murray and what he can do. Again, it's all love, about that slot position, being able to both cover and to play the run. I will say, like, Bill O'Brien has restored some of my face, faith, but some the signings he made in free agency itself are not good. Grant no. not for $9 million a year. Eric Murray for $9 million a year is pathetic. Like, that, that is bad. Well, so, Cobb, I can kind of understand. He low-key actually had a great year last year. He had a good year. He's going to be a good slot receiver for us, but he's not worth nine million a year. And I'm a uh, you'll see in my bio. I love Kiki. I love Kiki QT. I still believe in Kiki QT. I still have dreams about the Kiki QT game in Indianapolis in 2018. Uh, I love I love Kiki QT. So I'm hoping he can have a role in the offense next year at, in some form or fashion. But yeah, we're right. If anything, I've been I've been. I've been beating the drum on Kiki QT because we we have lacked a gadget guy so long, like kind of like Curtis Samuel or Debo Samuel, and I think we we're starting to run some jet sweeps and in the rounds with Kiki, Kiki, and then he and then they just stopped using him. So I hope maybe and that unlocks a lot of the deep stuff too. If you have to worry about a jet sweep and then you have to worry about Cobb and slot and then Darren Fells, like 
like fullers and cooks and stills are gonna. Well, that's actually eat. a lot of the value of cooks. Um, yeah, it's not. We talked about it on our show right after the trade this past week, and don't forget about Cooks is more of a gadget player. He's a guy that can slide over to save or to slot. He's a guy. I believe he was still yeah, fourth in uh, rushing yards by a wide receiver last year. So, oh really? I didn't yeah. know that. So you've got Fuller and Stills that are both traditional deep threats, whereas Cooks really is kind of a, more of a he's a gadget player that can also be a deep threat. He's okay. closer to Tavon Austin at but he can actually run routes. He's closer yeah. to the Debo Samuels. I mean, I think I think we need a gadget player. Like it really unlocks the deep ball for sure. And it's like, like there's two things in this offense that have been grossly underutilized in the past year: screen pass and the jet sweep. Like I can count on one hand on a jet sweep we ran, and when we did run them, we ran, we ran them with Kenny Stills, and they were never effective. Right. So, which is a role that I think Cooks is gonna. Yeah, two, two years ago when we had well Kiki when he did well and yeah. Bruce Ellington before he always got hurt, those are the types of things that kind yeah. of play towards Deshaun's ball handling skills. Like that's one of the things that they've kind of really gotten away since Deshaun's rookie year is you for, you almost forget at how good he is at selling the play action, selling those jet sweeps, just yeah, literally ball handling skills like it's a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, but I can, can go down those rant. I can rant about, about that all night. Exactly. We got a whole episode about the John. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We're, we do a, an annual Watson cast, so maybe we'll we'll invite you back for that. Sounds good. All right. Well, well, Dylan, let's let's close it up. Tell us where we can mm-hmm. find you. Um, if you got anything you wanna wanna shout out and. Uh, yeah. Just. Make sure to draw me a follow at H-O-U Texans Drafts. And um, I might be starting a, my own podcast soon. Maybe we'll have you on, John. But, like, uh, I hope uh, hope to continue to grow and I hope to continue to provide great content for the um, the Texans. And if there's anything you guys want me to do over the summer, I know that content can get kind of dry. So just let me know because I've been brainstorming ideas what I'm going to do over the summer because I want to continue to grow. So, Shoot me a DM if you want, if, if there's anything you want me to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, summer's the hard, this year especially is going to be tough. Yeah, because there's no OTAs or anything. <laughs> so, as always, we over at Texans Unfiltered, we know how how lacking um, coverage is for the Texans, so we always want to yeah. shout out and give people a, a platform. Um, one of our original goals when we started this was anybody that had something to say that's, you know, at least – a little bit either entertaining or informative would give them a platform. And, again, uh, that's what we're here for. So thank you so much. Um, This is John for Texans Unfiltered. Of course, you can always find us wherever you find your podcast. Um, Follow us at at HoustonFBPod. James is normal host. He's still there. Young Ari Gold. Always hit him up. And until next time. Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered? We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonFBPod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.TexansUnfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. 
Until next time.